Our talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Wednesday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. And just to prove that it's not a third straight day of just me, Nathan, say hello. Hello. Steven, say hello. What's up? I just, so that's so if you were, if you were like 20 seconds in and you're like, if it's just Doug for a third straight day, I'm out. Don't leave. Doug Lemmerys, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. I like this topic. Risk. Risk. I am a cautious person. But I, so I like talking about risk, but not participating in it. This is about risks in recruiting. And in low these many years, I don't think we've exactly done a podcast like this on Buckeye Talk. And the reason that I wanted to do it, Stephen, is because of Bronny James. And this is not a basketball podcast because if it was, another 80% of you would shut it off right now. We are going to use the Bronny James example to talk about how much risk Ohio State football should take in recruiting. And we'll talk a tiny bit about basketball within that. We have different types of risks as we've defined it. Like, hey, it's a risk because the player is this. We have a survey from our tech subscribers to tell we rank like where should they take a risk in what circumstances, where shouldn't they? But we do want to talk about Bronny James a little bit first, Stephen. And so since it's basketball, we'll start with you. How much risk do you think there would have been in Ohio State landing Bronny James, the son of LeBron James? A very good basketball player, but really to me, obviously, the risk you're talking about is the spotlight that would come with it. Do you believe there would have been real risk in that, Stephen? I do, because I don't know if Ohio State's basketball program is set up to handle the media attention that was going to come with Bronny James, just because Bronny James is a top 50 recruit. He's a McDonald's All-American. He's a lot of things. I don't know. He's not Zion. In terms of talent, he's not John Moran. He's not these guys where it was a surefire. That dude's really only in college because he has to be, and he's going to be a one and done, period. It's no, no question about that stuff. And so now you're opening the door for what if Bronny James isn't a starter? Do you really want to be the coach that isn't starting LeBron James's son at LeBron James's favorite college? What if LeBron James has like a four or five game stretch of just bad games? What if this team plays really well and Bronny James is no longer in the rotation? Do you want to deal with that all year because you've got 14 guys who you handle this way? And then there's this 15th guy who's a true freshman who is a very good basketball player, but I'm not sure he's, you know, a surefire NBA player to that level that you have to handle very differently. And it brings up, I think the whole point of this pod is like, is the product you're getting worth the circus that's going to follow it? And I don't know if that was necessarily a yes for Ohio state, the same way it would have been for obviously it's about USC or even Oregon. And so I do think there's two things to that, right? There's the, there's the, the negative things that happen perhaps in the course of winning. That yeah, mm-hmm. just makes it a little less fun, a little more dramatic. You're a little more on edge, but maybe you still win. And then there's a thing of could the thing blow a hole in your program, Nathan? That the the positive, no matter how maybe the player is skilled, maybe the player helps you win a game or two. But if the end result is something even worse then winning some extra games might be on the other side. That's part of the balance. Did you think in this Bronny James circumstance, Nathan, that that risk 
was something to be considered. I will defer to Steven on some of that read just because obviously I don't cover the basketball team the way he does. And I don't have a great read on on some of that relationship, nor do I think I have a great read on because in some ways what we're talking about here is what the family would expect and things like that. And I've always actually kind of mm-hmm. thought that LeBron James was I, he's I've seen him at AAU tournaments like he's very enthusiastic in his support of his son. But I've also kind of there was some level headedness there, too, I think, in just how they approach things. So I don't I, this is going to be a very interesting conversation over the course of this pod, I think, because I'm coming still at this having spent um more time observing Ohio State from the outside. And there's part of me that thinks, well, if Ohio State isn't one of the very few places that could absorb that circus and make it work, then who, I mean, then who can? Like, I, I there, this, there, this, this athletic department um, and, and this environment, I think, is maybe well-suited to taking in someone like that, especially someone who has already an Ohio state connection and, um, and making that work. And maybe I'm, I have less trepidation about that. Maybe it sounds like than what Steven would have had. And I, I, Doug, you probably have your own perspective on that. So again, this is not a basketball conversation. So like, that's Mm -hmm. probably the end of the basketball part of this, because I do believe, I do think the Ohio state athletic department, is probably built to handle something like that. I think the university is probably built to something handle something like that. I think the football program mm-hmm. would be built to handle something like that. I'm just not sure the basketball program right now was. And I have expressed this opinion that to me, when you're evaluating risk, I think there's two ways it can make the most sense. One is... Your situation and program is so rock solid that you believe you can handle anything. Randy Moss to the Patriots is like, oh, people are like Randy Moss and Belichick's like, what are you talking about? This is the most talented receiver in the league since Jerry Rice. Bring it. And it's like, oh, what happened? I don't know. The best receiving season in NFL history because you're so certain of who you are. Bring the risk. Talent matters. And we'll handle everything else. Or... Well, how else are we ever going to get a guy like that if there's not some risk involved? Like, we have no shot. Like, you're desperate. You're either rock solid or you're desperate. And I think it can make a lot of sense. If you're in between, then all of a sudden you're risking what you have, which is pretty darn good, to get something that maybe you don't you don't desperately need. So that is where I think the Ohio state basketball program fell in between. I think the Ohio state football program, Steven is much closer to, we got it. We are who we are and we can take it. So if Bronny James was a running back instead of a two guard, I think he might be a Buckeye, Steven. I think they might've gone after it. I think that LeBron and the family just might've been more into it. But I think maybe the way it turned out from a basketball standpoint is the best for everybody. I'm glad you used the Jerry Rice example because that's two brands that I think might be equal. It's like, oh, that's Jerry Rice. Oh, that's, that's I'm not Jerry Rice. Excuse me, Randy Moss. That's Randy Moss. Well, we're the Patriots. We win Super Bowls over here. Who, who cares? I'd say another example of that might be T.O. going to the Bills. That's not equal. 
that's not an equal circus there. That's 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 just right. To is his own thing outside of the Bills. So to put it in Ohio State's athletic department situation, Ohio State football is a brand all to itself. So as we get into this podcast and we talk about different people, yes, there have been anomalies who are brands to themselves as human beings, but at what best they're equal to the brand that is already Ohio State football. Ohio State basketball isn't the same brand to the same level. Even if the athletic department and the football program is, the basketball program, just not there. And maybe, I don't know if it's ever really been to that level. Maybe at the heyday of Thad Mata, uh, but even that was built around a lot of Midwest Ohio guys. I don't know if it's ever been to a level where it could take in a guy who could look at eye to eye and be like, I don't need you. You don't need me either for our brand standpoint. And so that's a different type of monster to deal with versus, you know, for if Ronnie James was a running back, he'd just be another elite running back who on top of what Ohio State's brand gives you just makes it that much bigger, i.e. LeBron to the Lakers. Doug, I know you don't want to make this a long basketball conversation, but I just want to, I want to ask you one quick question just to help me calibrate this. Um, because the LeBron James, the Bronny James thing, while he is a highly rated prospect, and is considered a good basketball player. We're really talking more about like celebrity and attention from that side of things, right? Mm-hmm. That is more about a name than it is about his basketball talent. My recollection from the Odin Conley arrival, that era of Ohio State basketball, was there was there was also a great amount of celebrity there, but it was basketball driven celebrity. This was a guy, uh, in Greg Odin's case, who was already a like a a a, a pretty known commodity and obviously they handled that pretty well at Ohio State do you think in so you're you have reservations about whether Ohio State basketball right now could handle the arrival of a Bronny James could it also handle the arrival of players from a basketball caliber of of the Odin Conley expectations so there's a couple things there one is I do think, obviously, as you're acknowledging, it's a, it's a different conversation. It's just, I, you know, like the thing that would, would have scared me from the Bronny thing is Bronny pay, plays 12 minutes and is 0 for 1 in a game yeah. that Ohio State loses by 19. And LeBron mm-hmm. tweets, sure think Bronny could have helped that loss. You know what I mean? And it's like, oh, God, like, I don't know if Holtman and the Buckeyes can handle that. I don't. But also when Thad Mata was coming in, Thad Mata's coming. Had had relationships in Indianapolis, right? Had those connections to Conley and Odin. Had been recruiting them to Xavier. It's like, well, Xavier's not really good enough for them. But he's coming in with nothing, at a place where the coach previously just got fired for NCAA violations, and he better get rolling. So even if I think a that basketball risk was less weight than a brawny celebrity risk would have been, right? But also, I don't. I would not have characterized. Ohio State basketball at that time as the rock solid position to take a risk, I would have characterized them as the desperate situation to take a risk. The right. fans like, what am I going to do? Turn down the best player in the country and then like come into like a decimated roster and then like go 500 for three years and get fired. Like, let's go. I think there's an equivalence there. I think Maurice Claret and Jim Tressel are a little bit like that, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. That there was a, maybe a little bit of risk with Maurice. Now, listen, he had, uh, but what happened? He helped lead them to a national championship. And then did it get sticky? Oh, yeah, it got sticky in m- multiple ways. But if you went back and asked Jim Tressel right now, would you do it? Would you take Maurice Claret again? They won a national title that they don't win if he's not there. 
But if they lose to Purdue that year and they don't win the national title, and then you have everything else that happened with Maurice holding out, and is he going to go to the league, and like the things he said about Ohio State, and then the off-field stuff. And again, obviously, Maurice has gotten his life together, but he had a rough patch there. He knows that. If you don't win the national title, and that's the state of your program, is it worth it? I don't know. It was worth it. That's like the example of, Stephen, that's both ends. That's yeah. the highest risk and the highest reward. It mm-hmm. got them a national title for the first time in three decades, and it exploded. And and maybe could have taken down the program. So that's both worlds. That's and kind it. of what we're talking about here. Both happen there. Do they wish the, the like the, the bad stuff didn't happen? Yeah, they wish it didn't happen. But you got the national title, so it's worth it. But Stephen, like when we talk about risk, I think that's a decent example of how it can go <laughs> both ways because you got it all with Maurice. Everything that could have happened with Maurice Claret happened with Maurice Claret. So that that's to the point. Is it worth it? Is the risk worth it? I guess you can say yes, depending on um, your views and morals of things. But it got you to think Maurice Claret did exactly what you would ask him to do as a five-star running back. Come in here and help you win a national title. He also did a bunch of other stuff that you probably don't want your five-star running back doing. But that's the the entirety of this pod. A lot of times when we bring up people, it's going to be, is it, was it worth going after that player or in the future, is it going to be worth going towards that player? Maurice Corrette's one of the few guys where I feel like it's an emphatic yes, even if it got a little wonky. Because the talent was rare and you don't win it without him. You don't. Instant impact. But it might have taken, it's like, what makes... What would make the Maurice Claret risk worth it if you knew all the other stuff? You knew all the NFL stuff. Mm-hmm. You knew the things, that the disconnect that he and Ohio State had about go flying home to his friends and funeral and doing all that disconnect. And Andy Geiger was all up in arms about it. And then, you know, the stuff that landed him in prison. And I think if you said that, okay, you know, Nathan, okay, all that's going to happen. What would make it worth it? You'd be like, I, I don't know a national title. It's like, okay, well, you got that then. Oh, then it's fine. But if it's not, if Holy Buckeye doesn't work, if they stumble, they had to go, they had to have a magical 14 and 0 season to make that worth it. Or it might've blown a hole in the beginning of the Jim Trestle era because Maurice Claret in the end had an effect on, it lingered into the 03 and 04 season. And then even into 05, Troy Smith is suspended for the beginning of the 05 season that's like connected to the Maurice Claret investigation that got him Troy suspended for the bowl game in 04. It's leaking into 05 when they had a national championship caliber team, but they lost the Texas game partly because they weren't playing Troy Smith all the way because partly because he was suspended previous to that linked to the Maurice Claret stuff. So that is a long leash on how long the ramifications from that continued and so they 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 reached the peak but then they came down from that pretty quickly and if if you remember like the, Ohio State was a national story in a controversial way and we can look back on that now and say well that's like the old NCAA and Maurice was just trying to like get to the NFL earlier and probably he should have that right but in the moment it was like bad publicity for Ohio State on the heels of a national championship. And if you had all the bad publicity without the national championship, Nathan, but I do believe, and I do think part of this is, 
I very much think coaches early on when they're trying to get established, I think this applies to Urban Meyer at Florida. I think Urban took a lot more risks. And now Urban's risks in recruiting and the fallout of that are, I think, multifold beyond what we're talking about at Ohio State when you talk about Aaron Hernandez specifically. But Urban came in and took some risks in recruiting and got two national titles out of it. And then I think it also hastened his downfall. So if he had not, if you did not win the two national titles, it would have been like, man, what were you doing? But I think when you're trying to get established at a big time program, Nathan, I think a lot of coaches just say, listen, if I don't win, I'm going to get fired anyway. So I'll take some of the risks where maybe things will happen that will get me in trouble, but at least I greatly in- increase my chances of winning. Yeah, so, but then compare that to later in the Trestle era where maybe there were some risks taken and were the successes that you got out of that worth 2011 and the, 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 the downfall that led to that. I think that's an interesting conversation to be had. And goes back a little bit to if Wisconsin doesn't return the opening kickoff for a touchdown in 2010, maybe because you're having a Terrell Pryor conversation, maybe our Terrell Pryor conversation is very much like the Maurice Claret situation. Well, it got crazy at the end, but at least you got a national title out of it. So Ohio State goes and loses that game at Wisconsin, which keeps them from winning a national title. They win the game at Purdue in 02, which keeps them on a national title path. And now all of a sudden, that's the determining factor, possibly on whether the risk was worth it or not. But when you accept the risk, you don't know if you're going to catch the fourth and two bomb. You don't know if the Wisconsin guy is going to run back the opening kickoff. You're trying to put your team in positions to have those opportunities. And so sometimes all you can bank on is, well, we'd be good enough to have a chance. So if all you're banking on is we got to be good enough to have a chance, is the chance worth it? Or do you have to get over the top? Let's do this quickly so we can finish up the basketball stuff. I did ask the texters about Bronny specifically. Do you think Ohio State basketball should have landed Bronny James as a recruit? Here were the choices. Yes, absolutely. With LeBron's Ohio ties, Bronny was a must get for the Buckeyes. No excuses. Or no way. Not worth the spotlight. Plus, Bronny lives in California. Ohio State wasn't the place for him. And then, of course, there's two in the middle. Ohio State should have tried hard, but it's reasonable he picked USC. Or Ohio State should have tried a little, but not too much time into the, uh, not put too much time into the recruitment. So definitely get him. Definitely don't get him. Try hard and miss. Try a little and miss. Steven, what do you think the texters voted for? Try a little and miss. Nathan, what do you think the texters voted for? Uh, that's a, I was going to say that they, to pick, they should have tried hard, but just reasonably picked USC. Okay. And where would you guys land? Would you guys both be in the middle or would you have a hard opinion? Yes or no? Or would it be in the middle? That's the same thing I would pick actually. And I think it's, it's because as much as we talk about the circus and the, the downside of it, it's not to say there isn't a positive side to the circus as well. Now all of a sudden Ohio state becomes like one of the most popular basketball programs in the country Win or lose, your name is out there in a way that only one program is out there for for at least one year. Yeah, I probably would have voted little and missed too. All right. The results were Ohio State should have tried hard, but it's reasonably picked USC 58%, overwhelming, by far the most, and more than half. Ohio State should have tried a little, but not too but not put too much into the recruitment. That's 18%. 
No way, not worth the spotlight, 15%. Yes, absolutely, had to get him, only 9%. So I did hear from a few of the had to get him people, which is, you know, when things like that happen, that's who, who you hear from. But overall, that is not a overwhelming opinion that like this was a thing that Ohio State basketball had to do. When we come back, we're going to make one more basketball football comparison and then get into some specifics of risks next on Buckeye Talk. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Back on Buckeye Talk, a Retalkables is ahead this week, so prepare for that. Big game. Haven't done a Retalkables in about 11 months. Last thing comparing basketball and football, and this is jumping ahead a little bit, but I, I do want to get to this. I asked generally how much risk should Ohio State football and men's basketball be taking in recruiting? Here's how I phrased it for football. In general, how risky should Ohio State football be in recruiting? This is an overall assessment of risk management, knowing maybe you stretch for some players and not others, and that in the end, there may be a class risk balance while individual recruits are treated differently. So it's like, this is like an overall governing philosophy. If you said, okay, you know, Maybe Texas A&M is a 9.5 on the risk scale. And maybe um, Michigan is a 3.5 on the risk scale. I don't know. Like, where should Ohio State be generally in taking risk? And then I said, same question, but a separate question for basketball. So, Nathan, we'll start with you. What do you think the number is? People voted 1 to 10. 10 is very risky. 1 is very little risk at all. What did people say for the football program? Um, I'll say, uh, six. Steven, what do you think they said for football? Seven. Okay. So right in between, it's 6.33. <laughs> so slight edge. But closer to, to six, if we're keeping so score. Right around there. Right <laughs> around there. What do you think they, that's, Steven, do you think basketball, they said, should be more risky or less risky? Was it higher than 6.33 or lower? Ooh, I'll say lower. I go five. What do you think, Nathan? Oh, I think I think you should have to be more risky in basketball. I would say higher. I would say so. Bat- well, higher, higher. Basketball is a seven point three two, so mm. basically one point higher. And this is one of those where, again, we're going to get into the different kind of risks. Like I didn't think Bronny was the right thing. There are other risks here that I think might make sense for Ohio State basketball. A different type of risk that that really is maybe more about the player than the situation. And it's really more about, can you bring out the best in a player and provide a support structure and make him succeed in a way that is good for him and helps the team more than you're at risk of a stray LeBron tweet that undermines everything you're trying to build. Right. So that there's a little bit of different risk involved here. So, and I I do think things change and there's a particular circumstance that I think a, a lot of Ohio state listeners, you guys will We'll understand what we're talking about when we get to it. But so to lay it out again, football risk 6.3, basketball risk 7.3. So let's go through some specific situations. These are all now football questions. How hard should Ohio State football go after players with high profiles? 
famous families, big on social media, etc., though they may bring some ego and spotlight with them. I'm not going to make you guys guess a thousand times on this show. That's a 7.52. So that is more risk than the general vibe. Nathan, what do you think of that? I think Bronny would fit into this. The celebrity aspect of it, when I asked the texters two other names that I included there, because it's like, well, what does that mean exactly? I mean, there are some people, I think the Cavender twins who transferred to Miami, mm-hmm. the women's basketball players, like they would fit into that with me, that you're famous for outside your sport, maybe. So I do think that it's not exactly the same, but Tate Martell and Justin Fields were both part of those QB1 shows where they were being followed as quarterback recruits in high school and kind of were a little more famous than your average high school recruit when they got to Ohio State. And I think you would find two examples. And it's just like, okay, well, one worked and one didn't. And I would say, I think Tate is a brawny light version of this for football because like Tate came in with a whole lot of sizzle and wiggle and Man, when we got to the Rose Bowl and we got to talk to Tate Martell and it was like, oh, this is going to be a thing. And then there turned out to be not much football substance behind it. He was a good player in high school. It just didn't work out here. And it didn't ever really work out for him anywhere else, Nathan. But I think that's a that's a not unreasonable example from a football perspective of what I think we're talking about here. What do you think football now should do with that? Well, I think Justin Fields is the example that, that crystallizes a, a little bit for me. And I know there's some some special circumstances there. But I, I so I was with the texters. I was you go ahead and round it up from 7.52. I put an eight on this. And to me, it can't both be true that Justin Fields benefited from that high profile experience. And it seemed to help the transition for him here and has helped him be a, a quarterback and maybe block out outside noise and, and make that um, adaptation to to the expectations of a job like this. And the other thing is, listen, media is only going to get more and more um, on the hype train, I think, for the best quarterbacks in the country. And Ryan Day wants this to be a factory for NFL quarterbacks. So I don't think you can exclude one and still end up with the second thing. You're going to have to be a real quarterback whisperer to start taking guys who are not five stars and not, you know, top 100 prospects and turning them into NFL quarterbacks. I'm not saying it can't be done, but it doesn't happen with nearly the frequency of those higher ranked guys. So uh, this is what the program is. It wants the Justin Fields of the world to know Ohio state, to respect Ohio state, to consider Ohio state, and I don't think you can keep them at arm's length. I think you have to embrace them. And so I'm, I'm, this is a quarterback conversation to me above all else as it pertains to football. This is about quarterbacks. I do think, well, I'll throw two more examples in here then, Stephen, that really I think are non-factors at Ohio State, but I think theoretically could have been. Ohio State had Keyshawn Johnson's nephew on mm-hmm. the roster and Michael Thomas was – Never anything but a positive, whatever, you know, Keyshawn might bring it up on a show or something. And they have Marvin Harrison Jr., which has been nothing but a positive. But in in a vacuum, Stephen, if you couldn't you say, oh, man, like if, if Michael Thomas, I mean, Michael Thomas redshirted in the middle of his career, which is one of the weirder career paths that we've seen at Ohio State in the last two decades. And it, they worked it out. And like, look at what happened. It came out the other side. It wasn't all smooth for him here. 
But I don't know. If you said before they got here, oh, I don't know. Dad's a Hall of Famer. Uncle's, you know, the, the give me the darn bald guy. You could think, Stephen, that maybe those would be celebrity things that could be an issue. Yeah, which I think whether it's quarterbacks or you're talking about other positions, with Ohio State, it's not so much the – they're going to get guys who come with celebrity, whether it's Marvin Harrison Jr., whether it's Michael Thomas, there's a kid named Chris Henry Jr., who's the son of Chris Henry, the former Bengal, in the 26th class, who they're after highly. They're going to go get these guys. It's not so much do they have the circus, it's how do they handle the circus around them. And use Marvin Harrison Jr. as an example. Marvin is as low maintenance as it gets. <laughs> he just kind of like lives in the woody and works the entire time. Let's take the quarterback situation since this is the quarterback conversation. Justin Fields, his personality wasn't somebody that you would expect to be a show on a show like that. He just used it for what it was supposed to be used for. CJ Stroud, not really the character stuff wasn't, I don't even like the word character stuff, but he's just kind of to himself. He does his job. He does, he comes, he plays football and he's very low maintenance. So it's high maintenance with the, what comes with them because they are high profile players, but they handle it in such a low maintenance way that it's not a problem once they get on campus. And we've seen the opposite with Tate Martell, where it was like high maintenance with a circus and it was high maintenance with him. You're right there to bring up Marvin Harrison Jr. as an example too, Doug, because I think if Marvin Harrison Jr. right now were only having the career of Michael Thomas, so like statistically, we're only having that career right now. Do you think it'd be like an issue or do you think people would just be saying, oh, Ohio State among its pretty good receivers has this guy and he happens to be Marvin Harrison Jr., Marvin Harrison's son. I don't think it would be like a problem. You know what I mean? There is a difference right between – your circumstance being famous and you being famous and acting mm-hmm. like a celebrity. You can come right. from celebrity circumstances or you can carry yourself like a celebrity. And those are two different things. Like you were saying, Stephen, it's like you would never guess that MHJ is the son of a Hall of Famer because he works like a walk-on. So like that circumstance. But to your point, Nathan, and this is a little bit amazing to me, Ohio State did not maximize Michael Thomas, did not throw him the ball enough, did not use him correctly, and it probably, I think, definitively cost him a round in the NFL draft. That was an iffy crop of receivers the year he came out, and he went in the middle of the second round because people looked at his production at Ohio State and was like, oh, that guy had 800 receiving yards a year. Corey Coleman had 1,500. Let's draft Corey Coleman. It's like, you understand if Michael Thomas played in the Baylor offense, he'd have 9,000 receiving yards, right? You understand how much better Michael Thomas is than Corey Coleman, but he didn't get to show it. So the nephew of the throw me the darn ball guy didn't get thrown the darn ball. And it still like kind of worked. Michael Thomas like helped birth zone six. Michael Thomas put his nose to the grindstone and worked, man. Michael Thomas was a pro. I never heard Michael Thomas say a word. About like, I said words to Michael Thomas, like, man, I think they should throw you the ball more. And he's like, well, what are you going to do? It's like, I don't know, throw you the ball more. So Nathan, I do like, like we, we've almost had, right? Like, oh, well, what if they, I can't like, Keyshawn wasn't, Key, Keyshawn was on the morning show on ESPN half the time then. He could have come on every day and been like, throw my nephew the darn ball. Mm-hmm. And it would have been like, well, it's factually correct. Like Urban Meyer kind of likes to run the quarterback 21 times a game, but like factually yeah. correct, you should throw Michael Thomas the ball more, and they didn't, and it didn't blow up the program. No, but the the program was winning. 
And I think Keyshawn Johnson sure. even knew at the time that if I'm as my his uncle goes on the radio when they're winning and competing or TV and winning and competing for national championships and says, well, regardless of that, they should throw this guy the ball more. I'll become like one of the biggest villains in sports media. I think he had probably that much self-awareness. So but but I think Marvin Harrison Jr. Marvin Harrison Jr. is a great example because he was not even the highest rated prospect among receivers in that class that came in. There's always been a the the celebrity is almost just now catching up to him and in a way that it was almost just like this kind of curiosity at first. Oh, it's Marvin Harrison Jr. It's Marvin Harrison's son. And he's pretty good. It sounds like, sounds like he's pretty good. And then he got here and did the things he's done here the last couple of years. And you're like, Oh, okay. Uh, Maybe there's more here. And and maybe that was part of it. Maybe it was always like, well, how, how good could he really be? Like, he's not going to, he's not going to match what his dad did. Let's not, let's not get crazy. And then now some of those things are maybe starting to happen. So uh, I, I, that is, I think he's another great example of why, um, but, but that's also the best example there is that it a lot of times isn't, there's so much that's out of the, the team's control. It's how is that person raised and how does their family choose to approach it? And how does their, what kind of profile does their family want to have? And, um, you know, Marvin Harrison senior seems to be a guy who probably has a lot of pride in the things he accomplished, but has always held his son to such a, held him so accountable that that's one of the reasons why that guy is in there relentlessly working to get better. Him being the son of a Hall of Famer has definitely gone from just being this footnote of like, oh yeah, he's also Marvin Harrison Jr.'s son, Marvin Harrison's son to, dude, Marvin Harrison's son might be like the guy. Like, uh, oh, it's, it's, it's become almost, it's going from a footnote to this thing of like, I cannot believe Marvin Harrison's senior son might be even better than he was. Okay, so let's let's make it more of a Tate conversation. Let's make it more of a Instagram influencer conversation. There's somebody who has 2 million followers on social media. Let's say Drew Chrisman became a bottle flipper in high school and got famous that way before he got to college. Like you're Like you're famous for you because of your personality, because of your social media acumen, Nathan. Yeah. Any hesitation there for Ohio State football? Would you think because Marv, Michael Thomas, Bronny, that's not about the individual. That's about the the family fame. But what if it's, I mean, social media influencer, we know exactly what that looks like. What about that kind of player right now, Nathan? Well, this is why I only gave it an eight for this this specific example, because I do think you have to be a little bit concerned um, about guys who that becomes a distraction from the football that becomes a distraction from their development guys who get so wrapped up in like boosting their brand. I don't think this maybe applies so much to the bottle flipper, but it could apply to the, the team Martells of the world. It could apply to guys who play a position with that is that demanding both physically and mentally, and you can probably throw emotionally in there too. And if you're if you're spending too much time on the celebrity side, you're not getting the full development on the football side. So that's the thing that I would always have in the back of my mind is that if you are going to pursue those guys, and it's guys who are, and Justin Fields again may be the best example of this, that he, and I remember talking to people down in Georgia for that that like series of stories I did in, in 2019, that it, it caught them a little bit by surprise that he wanted to do that. Because that isn't his personality, but he, but maybe because his personality is a little bit more laid back, he could do it and process it and move forward. And there's other guys who can't. There's other guys who would get too wrapped up in it 
and and too into the celebrity and get distracted from the football where that wasn't really ever concerned with Justin Fields. So I think as you're pursuing those guys, it can't be a 10. It can't be we'll take all of them. You do have there has to you have to really discern which ones are not going down the, the wrong path with it. That QB one show, I did watch the Justin Fields one, and there was a decent Boring. chunk of it that was like, and now Justin Fields and Pablo Fields will eat a kale salad for dinner. It was very, it was very boring. <laughs> it's like, yeah. wow, you seem normal and yeah. well-adjusted. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I thought there was a TV show about crazy high school football. So so I do think Tate, I mean, I, I can't believe I agreed to do a podcast where it's like, let's just get on the podcast and just throw Tate Martell under the bus <laughs> yeah. for an hour and a half. It's like, well... I mean, they can get famous guys as long as it's not, you know, like Tate Martell. So, but I think we know what we're talking about. I will say this. I think Ohio State is built to enhance or envelop certain types of celebrity. Like Ohio State's pretty famous. You know, like Mm -hmm. they have kind of a lot of famous stuff kind of happening around it. So if it's the right kind of celebrity... You can sort of slide in here. It's why I've said I think they do very well with like sons of professional athletes. You know, like Teron mm-hmm. Vincent or the Bosa brothers or like what we talked about with Marv and Michael Thomas. Like the guys can slide in here because it's like, hey, like Ohio State kind of operates this way. If your celebrity is a little bit more fresh, like you're, I mean, for real, it's the difference between like mainstream, my parents are famous, and sort of upstart, I got famous on TikTok. And and I don't know if Ohio State's a famous on TikTok kind of school. And and I'm not saying that like famous on TikTok schools are bad. And I'm not saying my parents are famous schools are good. But like, I don't know, is Miami, Florida a little bit more famous on TikTok kind of school? And it's like, hey, let's do this. Right, Stephen? I'm not trying. I'm not saying. I'm just saying Ohio State's a little bit more maybe conservative with its celebrity than the new style of celebrity. No, you're not saying that. I think Ohio State would say that. That that's the different. That's the that's the dividing line right there. And then that line gets thicker and thicker every year that they go after somebody who might teeter it, and it doesn't work out. It's the. It's not that you're famous. Why are you famous? Are you famous because you're really really good at what you do? But okay, you just so happen to have this thing. Michael Thomas, Marvin Harrison Jr., the Bosa brothers, on down like these guys, like they just happen to have this thing. But that's not why they're famous. Marvin Harrison Jr. is famous because he's the best wide receiver in, in football. The father thing just enhances it. You have a lot of guys. We are just throwing Tate Martell under the bus a lot in this podcast. It, it felt like, especially hindsight, Tate Martell was more famous for being Tate Martell than he was being a really good quarterback because there's I, I do this sometimes like you'll see somebody's like why are they so famous and then you'll look at their ranking it's like this is the 67th best player in the country why are they so famous right now and I think that's what take the Tate Martell thing is it's you're rated in the 45s so you're a good player you're probably an all-american you're a high-level player the borderline five-star but that's not why you're famous you're famous because Tate Martell goes to Texas and wins a football game and then he ex- he expounds the Nevada State to take over Texas and then tweets it out because it's funny which he actually did but, if you go watch the show. But here's the big thing that has changed in that conversation. Tate Martell comes to Ohio State in 2017 with all of that celebrity, and then he goes behind a wall. Now you're just a freshman quarterback at Ohio yeah. State, and you may not play for a couple of years, and you're away from, you know, they're not giving him to the media very much. It doesn't sound like 
Doug, like you were out of sight, not out of mind, but you were out of sight. You're always hanging around in the background. But now you get here, if he comes here five years later in 2022 and goes straight from the QB1 show and his personality, and now he's doing who knows what, commercials, NIL, everything. And so maybe I, I gave that an eight, but I, the Tay Martell example makes me wonder if I might vote that down a, a year or two as we see how things develop still in this this very still evolving landscape with NIL. Because before you could take that guy and then all, and the, but then you hide him, and then you don't. He doesn't necessarily have to be right out in front. You, it, it wasn't that. I guess, I guess you would argue either getting muzzled a little bit, and now that muzzle isn't there anymore. Now they have a megaphone. They they show up and they get a megaphone if they want it. And guys like that probably do, and probably would have taken advantage of it. So what does that mean? How does that affect things going forward for that program? Um, I think that still remains to be seen a little bit. So that's where I think my number might drop. And and that's how college football always worked, right? You right. brought in the biggest high-profile guys and you you stripped them down. You, you yeah. knocked them down to size. Raekwon McMillan got here and Luke Fickle called him five-star every day. Like, oh, five-star. Oh, five-star. <laughs> right? That's, like, that's what they did. <laughs> and so it's like, because it's like the whole point is like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you were before. But in the NIL world, it's like kind of like being in the Army. You get in, doesn't matter. Like, oh, cool. You did all this in high school, whatever. We're going to shave your head, put you in the same uniform as everybody else, and get in line. What if they had NIL in the Army? <laughs> like, what if now NIL? So, but does that mean you don't go after those guys? Or does it mean we've got to fortify ourselves and believe in what we do and we can let young men have personalities and, and make money off their personalities and still succeed in the program? Because I don't know that you can just ignore those in the new world, right? You're saying, Nathan, in the new world, maybe there'd be a little more trepidation. But if that's costing you talent, should there be? Or do you just have to fortify your program to handle it? Let's slide into the next risk area, which is related to this. And this is a specific NIL conversation. So this one, and I don't have like a, a person that I could tie to this necessarily. I think it's like maybe coming down the road, okay? How hard should Ohio State football go after players who make it clear that NIL is their top priority and they will go where they can get the most money if Ohio State's collectives are at a point where the Buckeyes can offer the most money? So how hard should you recruit? Like if the player would say, it's like, hey, hey, why'd you pick Ohio State? It's like they gave me the most money. I'm literally going to the highest bidder. And I am not saying that as it's wrong. I'm saying that we have to prepare for the fact that people quite reasonably might make their decisions this way. 5.25 is the rating, Stephen, which is two and a half points lower than famous. 5.25 is a decent amount of trepidation. And the thing about this, Stephen, is Ohio State and Ryan Day have said things like, if NIL is your number one priority, this might not be the place for you. Mm -hmm. Why? Like, why? People go to the highest bidder all the time. It's like, hey, why'd you change jobs? They offered me more money. Why'd you pick the college you went to? I got better scholarship offers. People let money make their decisions all the time, but yet does it make sense to operate in a way that if money is the number one thing, and you're not going to go somewhere you hate, but if someone says, hey, this is my number, this other school, I know you send a few more guys to the NFL. I know you have a 
better chance of winning. But this other place is still good. It's not between Ohio State and Rutgers, and I'm taking Rutgers money. It's between Ohio State and other good programs. But I'm telling you, money talks. And Ohio State right now, Stephen, publicly says, then maybe you're not for us. Should they? Or should they take more risks with going after guys like that? And should we even couch it as a risk? We might be too early to answer this question. Um, just because we haven't seen the, the the as we were talking about with Maurice Claret and Terrell Pryor and Tate Martell, eventually you have to pay the piper. Right, the, the pay the piper with Maurice Carrett was you won a national championship, but you know look at all the stuff that followed after. Terrell Pryor was a pretty quality quarterback here, but yeah, look at all the stuff that followed after. They we we're, we're not seeing programs really pay the piper that much yet. Maybe Texas A and M is, but that's because they're bringing in like these large classes and then having half a big transfer out the year after. But we haven't seen a significant pay the piper yet that lets me know whether what Ohio State is doing is the right or wrong way to approach this. Because the, some of the fear might just be, you, you said it, like t- people change jobs all the time. What if a kid picks a school because this school gave them $600,000 and the other schools were only giving them $400,000 and because of that, he leaves after a year because he doesn't get on the field and he goes to where he really wants to go. There's all these different factors that come into play with this to where I don't know if Ohio State's handling this the right way, but I also don't know if they're handling it the wrong way. And we might not find that out until that first initial class where NIL was a factor is like off to the NFL and graduating. And we look back on that 22 class and go, okay, how many of those five stars panned out at some of the schools they went to? How many of them transferred after a year and all these other factors? I do think we can view Texas A&M right now, Nathan, as a reasonable of like, okay, well, this might be what it looks like if you're just paying guys the most and you're getting them. And then we've gone through on the, on the Survivor Show how many guys have left from the last two Texas A&M recruiting classes. They had a terrible year last year. But I don't know this for sure. I don't know. You know a school that might be winning battles in NIL? I don't know. Is Bama? Is Bama winning battles right now? Because they are Bama, but they're also, or Georgia, I don't know if they are or not. They're also very good programs. So A&M is doing what we're saying, Nathan. They're they're doing that in recruiting because they're desperate. Because the other way is not, not cutting it. They brought in Jimbo Fisher. They paid him a gazillion dollars. They didn't win instantaneously. They thought they should have made the playoff in the COVID year in 2020 when they were fifth. But they're like, okay, well, that alone didn't do it. So what else? Well, let's go crazy in NIL. But what if you're a really good program? Could you be Ohio State and also say our two favorite five stars in every class will do what it takes? We are not going to lose out on NIL. We're going to do everything else we do, brotherhood, facilities, great coaching relationships, and also we will overwhelm you with NIL money. And if you are a kid who cares a little bit about coaching relationships and brotherhood, but money's first, we're here. Would that be wrong? Would that be bad? There's some trepidation. Nathan, 5.25 is significantly lower. Okay, we'll go recruit famous guys. Eh, Famous guys, maybe they're crazy. But we don't want to recruit NIL first guys. That's a big gap from the Texters, Nathan. Well, actually, I gave this a two, so I was even lower than the Texters. But I may have been been thinking about this differently when I read your question than when I hear you. Because it sounds like you may be talking about Caleb Downs. Are you talking about Caleb Downs? Is that what you had in mind when you wrote this question? Because that's not who I think of. So yeah, here's that's thing. not who I think of either. I, because I'm thinking of a true be, mercenary. But I guess I guess I am. 
I might be thinking of a mercenary. But mercenaries, sometimes, if you pay them enough, they fight really well for you. That's why you pay mercenaries, because they fight. Sure, sure. Yeah, so, but, but, but the thing the thing with Downs is it felt like it was like the finishing touches. Like it was the conclusion of like, oh, I can't. Yeah, it's, with, the, with the mercenary, it's like off the bat. Like this is how so, much money are you giving me? I right, think I'm, I am I'm, talking what, more mercenary. That you okay. go in early, okay. you sit down with mm-hmm. the kid, and the first thing is like, hey, what matters to you in recruiting? He says, I'm going where I get the most NIL money. I'm a five-star. There are, are things that Ohio State might see in him that they think would make him a good Buckeye. They think he would fit in with the players. They think he comes from a good family. They think all the things they want. But the kid says, money talks from the jump. Should Ohio State get up and leave, Nathan? Or should they say, okay, we're we're okay. If it's the right guy, we'll recruit a couple money talks guys because guess what? Money talks in life. And it's not a negative for money to influence your decision. So I more of a mercenary, Nathan. And I guess the thing is, is is the main trepidation, and Steven, you said it that well, you're worried that the guy would would come and then leave right away before mm-hmm. he had a chance to make an impact. So what if we got to the point where you sign an NIL deal? But to get the NIL money, you have to stay committed to a school. I mean, I, I understand that. But the idea more of yeah. like, well, we, we're pretty sure we're going to pay him and he's going to stay. But would you think inherently it would harm the team? He would not be as productive of a, as a player if it's a money first conversation, Nathan? I mean, to me, if, if in this in this scenario, the true mercenary, it's like the guy shows up for a visit and you're like trying to give him a presentation about the offense or defense that you're going to run and the academics and all that stuff. And he is just looking at his phone because he doesn't care. All he wants to know is which bank in town gives him the best CD rates. Like that's what I'm thinking of. And that's why I scored it a two. Cause I just don't think Ohio state, the very best players in the country, Ohio state has positioned itself to be in the conversation with all of those players and be, and is on the very short list of, 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 of programs that every player who just maybe except the ones who just don't want to go north at all, that every other player, they'll be in that conversation. They could compete for basically anybody they want. I don't think you have to bend over backwards for this kind of player. And on top of that, it, this may be a question that sort of answers itself because the athletic department has clearly taken a position here that it does not, it is not going to play in that realm where you're like guaranteeing or whatever money for incoming players. It's all about, here's what we're building behind. Here's what you can, how we'll have access to here are demonstrated deals. You can go look them up. Like there's demonstrated deals out there for the star players who've come here. They get big endorsement deals and everything. When you come here and you star, you absolutely will get as more than almost than anybody else. Maybe but they're not doing anything up front. Like that's, that's very much been the stance since day one for, I know, but we know what their stance is. Is it right? You think that's correct? You, you believe that's the correct way to go. I would, I think, I I guess I don't see the downside. Let me ask you this, Steven, if Ohio state had successfully recruited in the class of 2022. So somebody who would be a second year player right now, a money first five-star left tackle. Would you take him? I mean, how'd you get him? How'd you get him, guys? We promised him $2 million in NIL. He was a five star. It was down to us, Bama or Georgia. He said, I like all your programs. I think you're all going to win. Money talks. 
He better be good. He better be an All-American. He's better than what – he'd be the best tackle on the roster right now. Let's say I that. I know. Yeah, that's that's fair. He, he probably would be. Yeah, if he's he, still on the roster. If, he, yeah, if, he, if so, he's still so, – but, So he, is but your no, no. main fear – so there's two different fears. One is he comes and leaves. Is that the main fear? Steven, for you, is that the main fear that he comes and leaves? Or, or if you can get him to stay, do you think like it still is bad? I think it's a – my second fear is he comes and he leaves because then you feel duped. My biggest fear is he's not worth it. Like, let's just use Paris. This didn't happen with Paris, but for the sake of names, it's sometimes so. Let's just imagine a world where they paid Paris Johnson when Ryan Day took over. And the only, because Paris committed to Urban Meyer, he has said that to me, to multiple people. And the only way Paris would have stayed, because NIL has existed, is if Ryan Day and Greg Shajawa went down to Cincinnati and said, we are going to give you $2 million in NIL money. Here's the collective that's going to do it. Here's how the payment plan is. Everything is on the table for him. Cool. Paris Johnson signs. But then when Paris gets on the field, he's not the first tackle taken off the board. He's But but let me ask this then. How is that different than recruiting? There's no guarantee with anybody. Because so guaranteeing how, how somebody is it different because like, giving them money up front is illegal. Yeah. But it, okay, so we're gonna get hung up in that. Like I don't no, want to yeah, I'm I don't, don't need to get in a semantic argument, but that, that is part of this. And it's in and, and how much the NCAA is really gonna do about that is part of this. So I think it would make them not oh, the, the illegal stuff. Yes, I think if like, like that if, with the Paris Johnson scenario just panned out, if that would have happened with Paris and Paris wasn't any good, Ohio State probably wouldn't do it again because now they don't feel like it's worth but it. But there's no salary cap. It's just it's just rich people's money. It's there's no it doesn't come out of the athletic department budget. It's not costing. Doesn't mean the golf team can't get new clubs. It's like who who's losing the money? It's not you don't yeah, take a dead cap hit. The guy no, doesn't pan that, out. It's not about the cap. It's just I don't want to pay somebody else two million dollars when the what? last time I Why did not? it didn't work. It's not your money. Who cares? So, but Nathan. So Nathan, let's break down your trepidation, Nathan. If you're a two, right? Let's make a pie chart of your two. What percent of the pie chart is I'm worried the guy's just out for money is not going to stay? What percent of the pie chart is well actually that's that's against the rules and there's a chance that Ohio State would get in trouble even though nobody has gotten in trouble for it yet. And the other part of the pie chart is, well, if that's how you get the guy, then maybe there, you just lessen the chance that he's going to succeed because he's not here because he's actually invested in the program, right? What, what's your pie chart? Yeah, uh, all of those are factors. All those, all three of those things would be factors. Um, the legality side of it, I don't think is nothing. And I know that there's people snickering about that. But if you follow people who report on NIL, um, and especially on the legal side of things or comment on it, analyze it. That is something that they bring up a lot when they're commenting on other stories out there about how programs and their relationships to cooperatives are important because the cooperatives can get you in trouble. The NCAA is, has put some new rules in place. That I talked about um, first of the year that look at this in a different way, but that's, that's still more theoretical than it is real. I do think the other things are real though. And especially if you've got a mercenary then and who sets a price, then now the next guy knows how much to pay them to get them away from you. So there's that. And if they're a mercenary, they're leaving. Number two, uh, I do think there is something to be said for someone who, again, is not considering whether it's a good football fit, is not considering whether it's a good cultural fit. I mean, we've all – I'll use myself for an example. When I came here for this job, I was – 
I was considering other jobs at the same time. This job did pay more than some of those other jobs I was considering, but it was only one of the things that made this the most attractive job. It was things like this. It was things like our the tech other, service, 614-350-3315, before I had even talked to you it's about the brotherhood. it. the brotherhood. Say it. Say it. Say it. The brotherhood. Respect your decision. Respect your decision. Uh, it was the fact that it was Ohio State. The fact you, that it was Ohio you State. You swayed me, Nathan. You swayed me. But this, this is, is what I'm saying. Like, argument. I came for the Brotherhood of Buckeye Talk, and I don't want a mercenary Nathan Baird. I want a Nathan Baird who wants to be here. God, I love it. Okay. But it was, but it was the, the caliber of this program, the caliber of Cleveland.com, and and what it was on this beat. Like there were a lot of things that went into why I picked this job over other jobs I was looking at, and. If it had just been the money, I don't think that would have been maybe the best situation for my family because that was another fact. Like location, that was another factor. So what I'm saying is I think those things are still going to be – should all be factors. And when it comes – that's why I brought up Caleb Downs because that's not what we're talking about here. When it comes down to A and B and they're equal and one just happens to be promising you more money up front, whether or not that's – Legal is one thing, but whether it's even actually real is also another thing. Because that's the other thing. So now, do you want Ohio State out um, winning bidding in a world where the other bids may or may not be real? It may not be actual money that's out there. Is it all hypothetical? Like because we've already saw that with the player from uh, Miami that left. You know what I'm saying? Like th- there's still a bunch of mess mm-hmm. out there in the in the NIL when it comes to this. That's why I said. For now, my my number for Ohio State would be a two. You probably got to dip your toe in it. I don't think you can reject players outright. You've got to tell them, like, listen, that's not a conversation we're having. If you want to still come talk to us about all these other things, we're in, but we can't have that conversation with you. We're not we're not just dropping bags of money. I think you can still probably win at the top of this sport without doing that. Okay, so so. I do think like the practical application of this, this is my practical application of what we're talking about. I was, I'll give a brief example. When I covered, when I was covering baseball, Jim Tomey was a free agent from the then Indians, now guardians. And he signed with the Philadelphia Phillies. And I don't think he wanted to leave Cleveland, but the offer from the Phillies, they were opening a new ballpark and the offer from the Phillies was overwhelming. And I think there's a part of Jim Tomey that regretted it the minute he did it. They brought him to Philadelphia. They made him the centerpiece of this whole new era of Phillies baseball. But his heart was always in Cleveland. And his first year in Philadelphia, he hit 47 home runs and led the National League in home runs. And his heart was still in Cleveland. And it was like, cool, I don't care where your heart is. We'll take the home runs. That's an NIL move, man. The Phillies didn't say, do you really want to be here? They just threw a pile of money at him. And they got to be your MVP. They got a near MVP year out of it. So that's my example. Steven, here's my specific thing. This is my real question. If Ohio State, say there's, in my example, let's say it's a tackle prospect from Illinois, who's a five-star tackle prospect in one of the next couple classes. Mm-hmm. Really good. Everything about him fits what Ohio State wants. The way he plays what they've gleaned about him from talking to his coaches and his teachers and all that kind of stuff. And they sit down and early on, he says, I'm going to the place where I get the most NIL. And whether that means up front, whether it means later, whatever, but it's a monetary decision for him. Should Ohio state stop recruiting him or should Ohio state like back off because they're not right. It doesn't make any sense. If, if they get told 
NIL is my deciding factor. If they're not going to play the NIL game with that guy, you're just wasting time where you could be recruiting other guys. This is their number one tackle on their board. It's the guy they want. Yes, there are other good tackles available, but should they get up, Stephen? Should they should they give up the recruitment, or should they say, "No, okay, we're willing to do it because we like you, but you've told us it's nil or bust." What should they do? I think it's a fair thing to ask the question of: Is that the only thing that matters? Because I think there is a difference between it being the f- number one thing and it being the only thing. And if that kid says, no, I have other things in co- that I, I am interested in as well, then what you can do in that situation is maximize the other stuff on that list that you can control and try your hardest to make sure that the other part isn't too far of a – is it too big of a gap between you and whoever else he's deciding between that he just can't consider you at all? Nathan, how would you handle that recruitment? No, I think what Steven says makes a lot of sense. I think, again, you have, that's why I said I wouldn't give it a one, but I kept the number pretty low because I think you've got to still find a way to try to win that conversation another way. And if you can't, you can't. It's not like that hasn't been going on. You know what I mean? It's like that hasn't been going on since the beginning of recruiting. No, I know, but now it's, now it's more allowable. Now it's legal. And more kids, more kids are engaging. <laughs> we moved from a we moved from like a red area Listen, to a gray area. Listen, if Jim Tomey yeah. says, yeah, but if Jim, no, but I, I, you guys acknowledge that it happens more now, and Ohio State's more willing to dance because they because it's kind of allowed, and there are more players. We know this for a fact. We've talked about this before. There are more players that are engaging in it up front because it's not completely off board. You can talk about money without it being a bag man and a McDonald's bag under the table. You can have that conversation. So I asked both of you guys, if a guy says it's, it's going to be about the money and both of you said, show him the barbershop chair in the locker room. I'm telling you, man, it's about the money. You're like, well, emphasize the other things. If Jim Tomey says, I'm going where I get the most money, the Phillies can't say, look, there's a Rocky statue. You've got to say, here's the money. You guys both would say, that would not be in the best interest of Ohio State football right now, the way things operate. Basically, back off that kid, go to the next tackle where NIL is not going to be the deciding factor. I'm not I, I would that's say wrong. Yeah. I'm just trying to like try to figure out what we think. No, I would say that that, that is yeah. not in their best interest. Okay. And I, because and again, it's also an it's not a perfect comparison still. Because as much as NIL has helped players gain some leverage and get some financial reward, it's not the same as pro sports yet. It's just not. That's true. Okay, that's our NIL discussion. We have three more risks, and we can get a little more specific on these. We'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. Doug, Nathan, Stephen, great text or survey. If you want to be part of stuff like this where you get to vote, I really do like the sliding scale thing because you get to, when I when I send the questions, it's one through ten. And then you get a great big collection of people. So it's all the sixes and all the threes and all the nines, and you get a number. And for comparisons like this, right, on its own, a sliding scale thing is a little rough. But when we compare these five types of risks, which are the ones people think Ohio State should do the most and which should they really avoid? We are, I think we've got some really good sliding scale information from our tech subscribers. It, it enhances our discussion a great degree. If you want to be part of that, have your vote, your voice as part of that, 614 350-3315, you get a two-week free trial. All right, national recruits. And Stephen, this to me is Quinn Ewers, Dylan Rayola. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is like, what do you mean by this? This is what I mean by this. 
How hard should Ohio State football go after national players with no connection to the Buckeyes who may not offer very firm commitments and it feels like they may have a decent chance of decommitting or transferring once they do get here? Ten is recruit them hard. One is not recruit them at all. So the risk of this, Stephen, to me is the time and energy wasted and the opportunity cost of did you miss out on other guys in in recruiting while you went after and got maybe commitments from these guys. So whatever Quinn Ewers cost you, whatever Dylan Rayola cost you, that opportunity cost and all the time and energy of the coaches for guys that in the end didn't stick. That's the really the risk here. So the risk isn't the stakes aren't quite as high. I will say the textures are a little more open to this. 7.01. Actually, I just updated 7.03. 7.03, Stephen, is how open they are. So again, in comparison, famous guys, 7.52. National guys, 7.03. NIL first guys, 5.25. What do we think, Stephen, of this national conversation, which is something we have talked about before, but also the Dylan Rayola commitment to Georgia this week also spurred this podcast a little bit as well? I think if it's a non-quarterback, you got to keep doing it because you got to compete for national championships. I think Ohio State has put themselves in a position with their reputation of what they do with quarterbacks here that, and this is based off of conversations I've had, not just me coming to this conclusion of myself, um, they have put themselves in a position with quarterbacks where they kind of set the tone for how the rest of the country views certain quarterbacks. So I think they would be better off not pulling the trigger so fast on some of these commitments because eventually it's going to come back and bite them in the butt. So far it hasn't. You know, you had to go get CJ late, you got CJ late. You had to go get Devin Brown late, you got Devin Brown late. You had to go get um Aaron Nolan late, you got Aaron Nolan late. But I think they would be better off waiting until the spring after their junior year to find their quarterback because they're just as likely to find somebody quality who might be a little bit of a late bloomer, plus the reputation that they've built and developing that position kind of precedes itself at this point. And so you don't get into situations where they offered Quinn Ewers when he was in eighth grade. And that kind of set the tone for like where Quinn Ewers is now as a perfectly rated recruit. They offered Dylan Rayola after his freshman year, they offered Jaden Davis after his freshman year and it put them in these positions where it's like 12 months later, it's like, well, why didn't you get that guy? Or why didn't you hold on to that guy? So I think every other position you got to keep swinging because you got to compete for national championships with quarterback. I think it would do them some good to be a little bit more stingy with how they go about offering and recruiting that position. Nathan, do you, how hard do you think they should go after these kind of guys, Nathan? And, and would you draw the same distinction between quarterbacks and non-quarterbacks? No, I, I give this a 10. I think it's 10. These are the guys you go get. Quarterback, receiver, rush end, offensive line. Like They're the guys you go get. That's how you build national championship teams. Um, this isn't the Trestle era anymore. These are the guys you have to go get. Ryan Day is a quarterback coach, and he. this is supposed to be a quarterback-led program. This is And, and most of the great ones are in a, in a lot of ways anymore. Um, I know that what Stetson Bennett just did at Georgia, but that's a little bit of an outlier now of, of the way things are, are going across college football. And and it's certainly not the way Georgia has built itself in a way that Ohio State is not building itself. So this is what Ohio State has put forward as its identity. And I I think the quarterbacks are different and the quarterback recruiting timeline is different. But I think you have to just go play that game like, you know, 
you, you talked before, you mentioned the term opportunity cost, but that is just the cost of doing business. Sometimes guys decommit. And by the way, that's why Ohio State keeps recruiting guys who commit elsewhere because they want to force other teams to pay that opportunity cost. And they want to sometimes steal those guys late in the process and, and, and flip them and take them. I mean, this is all part of the game. And like, and I know that, I don't know if all these guys would, would necessarily apply to what you're talking about, Doug, but you know, Chase Young, Justin Fields, again, a different example there because it was a transfer. Um, Chris Olave was a lower-rated lower recruit, but JT Tuomaloal, CJ Stroud, Jeff Okuda. I don't know. Did he have Ohio ties? Um, J.K. No. Dobbins, Jackson Smith and Jigba. Like all these guys I'm naming, like these are the guys that you build the greatness of your program around. These guys are the ones who make the difference in your program and whether this is a national championship program or not. Yeah, but some of those guys you named kind of helped me prove my point. Chase Young committed six months before signing day. Jeff Okuda didn't commit until literally the sec- late signing day period because he committed at an All-American Bowl. Jackson Smith the Jigbo was a three-star recruit when he committed to Ohio State because Brian Hartline got in on him so early. JK is probably the exception there, but that's Tony Offord being Tony Offord. And then JT is a – I mean, a pandemic is why that lasted so long. I don't – you probably wouldn't have had to wait until July 4th, 2021 to get JT to him below out had he been able to take some of those visits. And so all of those situations are very unique, but they also help me prove my point of maybe with, with the other positions, do what you're doing, whatever with quarterback though. I have, we have only seen once them get a quarterback early and him actually make it to signing day. And he still hasn't been named the starting quarterback yet. And that's Kyle McCord. So we're going to see this year if he wins the job, if that was worth it as well. But so far, we have what, what we have seen, though, is the guy they had to come get late, whether it's Dwayne Haskins, whether it's Justin Fields going to get him out of the transfer portal, whether it's C.J. Stroud. We have seen that guy work. So how about you just eliminate the first step altogether because you haven't seen it work yet? At that so position. real quick, so real quick, as, as it pertains to the non-quarterbacks, that list that I put out there, regardless of how they're getting those guys, they're getting those guys. Like it's working, like whatever the approach is and all those various different approaches and timelines, they're getting those guys. Number two, as it pertains to the backs, I think the fear would be if you don't, again, the current approach kind of at the long run of what you're saying, Stephen, is the current approach is working because they're getting those guys late anyway. I think the fear would be if you're not involved with the best of the best up front and fighting on that timeline, and even if you lose those guys and now you try to pivot to the second level and those guys aren't there, that that option now isn't available. Those guys are locked into their commitments. You can't flip those guys or they're not uncommitted at that point or somebody doesn't emerge late. Now, where are you? Now you're really left flat footed. Some of it's out of your control, right? If you're right. recruiting and a big time mm-hmm. national five star and he wants to commit. If you tell him, well, we, we're not going to take a commitment right now, then he might commit somewhere else, Stephen, right? Like that's – Yeah. Right. If if he feels like he's your guy, you can maybe try to get him to wait. I'll give you another – I'll give an example that's not quarterback. So Jaheim Singletary in the class of 2022 as a national five-star corner commits in January, decommits in August, signs where? Georgia? Signs Georgia. Georgia in December. And now actually transferred from Georgia. Mm-hmm. But having him committed from January to August probably had some effect on their cornerback recruiting. And then in that mm-hmm. class, they wind up with Jair Brown and Ryan Turner, who were two fine cornerback prospects, but they don't wind up with a top 150 guy at corner. So 
that, Stephen, and I do think there's quite a difference because, like, I was going to say, like, a guy like Von Bell. Von Bell committed on signing day. Yep. If it's a guy who's not taking a spot in your class, who's not causing you to back off other guys, go to the wall. JT mm-hmm. Tumolawa didn't cost him anybody. It's like, hey, we'll find the space if he wants to come. Von Bell, take him on signing day a thousand times out of a thousand. But the early take that causes you either you back off or other players back off from you because like, oh, yep. well, that's where the cost is. But I guess if Jaheim Singletary wants to commit in January, I I guess there's nothing you can I don't, do. But yeah, beyond I, quarterback, Steven, I guess that's what I'm that's what I'm talking about. And I guess if you got a read on a guy that's like, all right, we'll take his commitment, but like we don't think we're gonna keep it. Should you then somehow adjust your recruiting? I guess maybe this one is the example where the school has the least amount of control. It's, because it's like you want them, they want you for the moment, and who knows what the future holds. Yeah, it's because you you can't get in the business of telling five stars no. It's it's. I mean, the Quinn Ewers reclassifying early. What are they going to tell them no? Don't show up. No, it's it, the Dylan Rayola thing. What are you going to do? Tell them no. But what it does do is you're trying to build a roster here, right? You got you trying to have roster management here. So let's take. The, I like that you use Jaheim Singletary, and I'll bring Quinn Ewers in this conversation. They got Quinn Ewers a year before signing day. So how did that impact things? It impacted the way they went about recruiting the 2023 quarterback situation. Had they not had Quinn Ewers be a part of the factor here, maybe they don't try to find the Mac Jones in 2023. Maybe they do go a little bit harder with some of those top-tier guys in 2023. Now, Arch Manning was never going to be on the table because he was never coming north. But all those other guys, maybe they would have gone a little bit harder because they're not thinking – Hmm. We've already got CJ. We're going to have Kyle for a year. And then we're going to have Quinn Ewers take over for two years. And then we just got Dylan Rayola in 2024. Our quarterback path is set. This is how we think it's going to go here. And so you approach other classes and other things in certain classes a certain way. But because like you said, you can't control when kids want to make decisions here. It probably wasn't the best decision to have Jaheim Singletary commit to Ohio State when he got offered too much before. And it was just kind of like, an emotional decision, but you can't tell the five-star cornerback no. You can't tell the five-star edge rusher no. You can't tell the five-star wide receiver no, or the quarterback and on down the list. So it's a little bit of you have to operate with what you can control, but also this is the reality of things is when you take a guy in the class, you're doing that understanding that he now impacts how you're going to do things for the next couple of classes going forward. But also when you take those guys, you know you're still recruiting them. Like when they take the commitment from Jaheim Singletary, they know that fight's still going on. They know they're going to have to stay on that in a way that they don't have to stay on the Josh Myerses of the world or the Jack Sawyers of the world. They know that's going to be a battle probably up through signing day. So wouldn't you rather do that battle with a commitment in your back pocket than without it? Like I I, I think we, we can't. We have to make sure that we're not characterizing this as they take a commitment from a guy and then it's like, well, that's it. We'll see you on signing day. And they go about it like they know they're 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 riding that roller coaster the whole time. No, no, I, I'm not. I'm, I'm more just saying when you have a guy in the class, it now impacts how you approach things versus if you're just fighting sure. along, fighting along, fighting along. It's just normal recruitment as normal. That's all it, I'm saying. It does affect how you how you how you're handling things, but I don't. It doesn't mean you're not still recruiting other cornerbacks and keeping in touch with guys. And 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 the other thing, let's just imagine this: if if Jaheim Singletary had gone to Georgia, if let's say Ohio State had had decided not to take his commitment at that time, and then Jaheim Singletary commits to Georgia and then goes to Georgia and becomes an All American, 
first round draft pick. And there are stories coming out before the NFL draft where he's like, you know, I, I never told anybody this, but I was actually, I really wanted to go to Ohio state and I was ready to commit. And they told me, no, not yet. And then I just went to Georgia and became an all American. Ohio state fans would lose their minds. Like Ohio state fans would lose their minds. We would be getting inundated with texts about that. So let's not pretend that what this, this is just what it is. This is what the fight is. This is why these guys make the big bucks to do this, to, to, to take commits from 16 year olds and then fight them tooth and nail to try to hold on to them. If that's what this is. Yeah. But also, I mean, fans are going to lose their minds anyway. They had B. Sean Robinson. They had him, and he didn't end up coming here. And, of course, it's been a, oh, my God, why didn't we get B-Shot? Look at what B-Shot turned into. But they didn't turn away his commitment. They would have taken it. He just flipped his decision last minute before it became public. So it's, it's – Again, you're trying it's, to play – you're trying business. to you're, – you're building you're, – yeah, you're playing a game here where you're taking the word of teenagers. So let me ask this. I guess more often than not, the player's going to wind up at the school that he's going to wind up at. Whatever the path leads him down, he's going to wind up at the place where he has the best relationship with the coaches. Now, you know, in an NIL world where he has the best, the biggest NIL opportunities, the best chance to win, the best chance to get to the NFL. But there's part of me that thinks that Ohio State would have had a better chance at Dylan Rayola if he had committed to USC originally. And then Ohio State could have been, oh, he's committed to USC Oh, he decommits from USC, and now he's between Ohio State, Georgia, and Nebraska. Is there a world? Because like we've talked about, right? Nathan, you just said they're going to keep trying to flip guys. Ohio State's recent ratio, and I'm not counting like the Mayan Williams flip from Iowa State. I'm talking about like big-time flips, right? Are they in the last two or three cycles, are they on the right side of the flip ratio? Have they flipped? more than they've had flipped and is it possible that the better strategy is we're just not going to go that early we're going to recruit the heck out of guys but if they want to commit 18 months ahead of signing day let them commit somewhere else we'll keep recruiting and then we'll be like now all of a sudden you're like the secret boyfriend it's like oh i have my boyfriend now my boyfriend's kind of boring oh my girlfriend i'm kind of tired of her but now you're over in the oh like, is, would that make any sense, Nathan? Or if, if you, are you going to say, Doug, are you asking me? You don't want the commitment because your better chance is to be a flipper than a flippy in round two. What are you talking about? Take the commitment whenever you can get it. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm not that confident that it's better to be the flipper than the flippy. I mean, it, it is better to be the flipper than the flippy, but I don't want that to be my recruiting strategy. I think that is a dangerous game to play, I think. But we're also straying a little bit from the, I would still say a 10 on this. This is a 10. Now, you want to have a conversation within how, whether you're recruiting them or not, that's a 10. Now, a conversation about the timing of things and how you massage things and how you approach things from a week, week, month, that's a different conversation, really. We have seen some other national programs. Alabama comes to mind. Like every year, Ohio State gets all these commitments or has in the past few years, right? Ohio State would get this big surge of commitments and they're the number one class in the country. And Alabama's got like two guys and people are like, oh, what's going on with Alabama? And then they just come back and get all these guys later and are the number one class or number two class, whatever. And like, so there are some different approaches here. Uh, But so that's a conversation to have. But I don't think 
this idea that they would back off of going after any person that'll take their call of that caliber. We're talking about the five stars, the national guys. Like, again, it's what it goes back to saying before. Like, there, there are programs who those guys will not take their calls. I like they're, they're not picking up the phone for uh, like even like the Iowa States or the you know what I'm saying like there's you could be a top 20 ish program and maybe still not be able to get in the door with with some of these guys the upper echelon guys they're only talking to the the true blue buds bloods Ohio State is in that conversation and it has to take advantage of that I think that's an interesting topic can Ohio State actually be the flipper because they don't I mean we see it every year with Alabama, Georgia. They get close to signing day, and there's a dude who's like committed to another blue blood, and then they flip to Alabama or Georgia. Ohio State's flips have been like Mayan Williams level, uh, uh, Avery Henry, who shout out to him, he's getting better. Um, well, I think he's a remission now, if, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he's a flipper. Their their bigger flips have been context flips. Devin Brown flipped because Clay Helton got fired. <laughs> right, which wasn't you know, even yeah. Brett, I think a, a, a flip yeah, is different than a Brett, decommit and then a period and then recommitting. Bingo. Because even like Brandon Ennis, like he was committed to Oklahoma. Why is he not going to Oklahoma? Because Lincoln Riley went west and Brandon Ennis wasn't going that far away from home. They don't, I don't, I can't think of the last flip where it was just like, how did they do that? Wow. Like we're, I don't know what that, and maybe, you know, Peyton Woodyard might be that because he'll come for an official visit. There's some other guys who might be that, but right now I can't think of the last flip where it was like, well, of course he well, flipped. Jordan Hancock, Jordan Hancock had a little bit of time in between Clemson and Ohio but State. Probably but that. Feel yeah. like probably he that. Flipped. He, de- he decommitted from Clemson because people thought he was coming to Ohio State. Yeah, probably so that. was that. a pretty good one. Urban, Urban did that a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. So, so th- to wrap up this, because I, I agree that we kind of did get off the point a little bit. I do think Ohio State publicly has intimated in an NIL world, perhaps will pull back a little bit nationally because if NILs get, now we're getting back in the NIL conversation, but this is not even a kid who sits down and says, NIL is my number one thing. Just that NIL is part of the conversation because for any five-star, you have to realize that's part of it. So I think Ohio State has kind of said, well, maybe we'll come a little closer to home, find guys who grew up like a little bit more that they have a connection to Ohio State and if that's what this world's going to be, maybe we'll be slightly less aggressive nationally. And I think you can look at the last couple of classes. There's not as many national five stars as there were in 17 and 18, right? So would you say that's a bad strategy? Or would you disagree with that, Nathan? That again, let's stick to Nathan Baird's principles of how to use NIL. So we're not going to budge on that. We're going to understand NIL is a part of every conversation for a major recruit but we will continue to be as aggressive nationally as we ever have been. Don't pull back at all. Where would you be there? Oh, much more closer to that, closer to the second thing. Because, and and it's hard, numbers class to class can vary wildly, depending on who was available, what your needs were, those sorts of things, what, what the, what the battles were, you know, you really needed an offensive lineman, but the three best available were from Austin, Texas, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and, Gainesville, Florida, and you just didn't have a chance. You know what I'm saying? So, like, those things can happen sometimes. But that you've got to take your shot. And, again, Ohio State isn't in this to win Big Ten championships. It only wants to win Big Ten championships as a conduit towards winning national championships. That's what this program is judged by. Did you make the playoff, and who'd you beat? Did you beat Alabama? Did you beat Clemson? Did you beat Georgia? Like, that's what this – and Michigan, Michigan now – uh, because that's become a little bit of a stumbling block. But really, like, 
it, it's the national presence. And I don't think you can win with a national presence without uh, being in on the fight on all of those guys that you want. You want to go out. Ohio State should go should look at just the the, the spread of guys, the field of guys that are available in any given class and pick the guys they want and go after them. There shouldn't it shouldn't be a consideration of we don't want to uh, we don't want to ask that girl out because she might reject us. Okay, next one. Right after this quick break on Buckeye Talk. All right, we're getting deep here on this recruiting stuff. It's a little intense. Oh, recruiting strategy, I love it, but sometimes it's uh, it's exhausting to talk about. Okay, this next one. How hard should Ohio State football recruit a player if he has some character concerns in his background and there is at least some fear that he could have issues in the locker room or off the field as a Buckeye? Ten is recruit very hard. One is not recruit at all. This is a 3.98, Nathan. This is pretty far down. And the example that I use here, and, and it's hard because we don't want to besmirch everybody's characters. It's not saying that they have a, a that they have bad character. It's a very catch-all term. Perhaps Ohio State has questions, has questions mm. about some things beyond their football ability. And sometimes when you have questions, turns out your questions are unfounded. There was no reason to have a question, but you had them. And it affected your recruiting. How much should affect? And the thing is, we have to have this conversation in a world where you don't know for sure. So our answer can't be, well, if you have questions, but you're pretty sure that it's fine, then take him. But if you have questions, but you're pretty sure it's not fine, don't take him. Of course, we know that. We're saying there's some murkiness here, okay? I think Micah Parsons had some murkiness. He's a he's a Harrisburg kid out of Pennsylvania. He was very interested in Ohio State, and it got some attention because he came out on the best of Ohio state. They took him around the, the, the game day set. And it turned out that was an NCAA violation. And then Ohio state very publicly said, Hey, this is an NCAA violation. And one of the things we're going to do is not recruit Michael Parsons anymore. And I think in that process, Ohio state had just decided they weren't going to recruit Michael Parsons anymore. That it just, I think they had just some questions. And then Michael Parsons went to Penn state and was awesome. <laughs> Mike Parsons went there and was a freshman All-American in 2018, made 13 tackles in their bowl game, was one of the best defensive players in the country in 2019, sits out the COVID year in 2020, and is an absolute stud in the NFL. And in the NFL, he's kind of like a rush-in kind of linebacker, and Penn State played him as a linebacker at a time when Ohio State had some linebacker issues. So he could have been a Buckeye in 2018 and 2019. I'm not going to say that Ohio State wins the national championship of Micah Parsons is a Buckeye in 2019. I'm not going to say that they beat Purdue if Micah Parsons is out there as a freshman, maybe making some of the tackles that other guys are missing against Purdue in 2018, but he might. Now, they're probably still not going to beat LSU, but we have to acknowledge on the field in 2018, but especially 2019, he would have helped them, Nathan, because he's a very good football player. So that's my conversation here. And I'm sure there are other players who did come to Ohio State that Ohio State maybe had some of those questions and said, okay, let's do this, right? This is not character issues. And this is, again, character can be a catch-all. Thayer Munford had a bumpy recruitment. Moving from Cincinnati to Maslin, he moves in with the high school coach at Maslin. He just comes from a difficult background. There were some academic issues around him that just had to get straightened out. And they hung in with Thayer Munford the whole time. And the result was a four-year starter on the offensive line. And by the way, if you've met Thayer Munford for five seconds, he's a fine fella. 
There, it's yeah. not kept right, but I would lump that in a great big net. There were some off-field questions that Ohio State did not give up on him, yeah, and he did not give up on Ohio State, and the result was a wonderful marriage on and off the field. So I think that's the success story of that. Michael Parsons is maybe a what could have been side of that. Nathan, how should they approach it? A three point nine eight from the textures is pretty low. Uh, and I actually gave it a four, so I'm right in line with them. And I think off-field questions is the better way to say it than character, probably. Because both of those are like wide-net terms. But character has a different inclination. You know, the Micah Parsons thing wasn't like really a character thing. Uh, Ohio State kind of fell on the grenade there a little bit. It was like, well, we, we know we committed an NCAA violation. And in order to stay on the right side of the NCAA, we are going to do a thing that they like to hear, which is that's we're not just not going to recruit this person. Let me tell you, that's not, that's, it's not why they did it. So I'm, I'm telling you that there were other questions that they used sure. the NCAA thing as an excuse to get out of gotcha. there. Okay. But, but, but they're, you know, that's fine. But there's also like, I, I think you have to be a little bit careful. Uh, Ohio State, to kind of go back to what I was saying, why I thought the other was a 10, um, that you should go after all those, any prospect and country you want. But because you generally have access to anybody you want, I think you can be pretty choosy about which ones you actually then pursue if you find out there's something iffy. And I, I think there are programs, if you're farther down in the Big Ten or whatever conference, um, maybe you do reach a little bit more and give a guy like that a chance. Um, not that Penn State really qualifies as that. Penn State's obviously a, a very good program. But I'm thinking of like what what Purdue might look, what what Purdue might overlook could be different than what Ohio State might overlook for the same level of player. Uh, of course. Point taken. What should Ohio State do? Yeah, point taken. Yeah, I think Ohio desperate, State would desperately would, take it. Absolutely. Yeah. Would, would pass on those. Now, I do also think, though, I, I was also thinking recently, too, though, of the example. Um, I was just listening to a thing about Allen Iverson the other day, and that's obviously a guy who was had a lot of problems at, late in his high school career, um, legal problems, and um, some of it might have been um, overblown, but it was serious. And his mom, like, literally put him in a car and drove him to John Thompson and said, Will you please take my son because he's going to die if you don't? And John Thompson, the gravity that he had, the person, the coach that he was, um, the presence that he was, and really the presence that Georgetown basketball was at that point, I think could probably take someone like that and and be that for them. And it's a little bit different. You compare basketball to football, too. Uh, I don't know that if Ohio State is that right now if ryan day is that right now maybe you could make the case that there are individual position coaches who could be that right now larry johnson i guess maybe would be one that comes to mind but you know what i'm saying like i think it it, it has to be at the right time in a a program's no, I don't. timeline why is ohio state where would a where would ohio state fall short in that in in that discussion in your mind like why wouldn't they be that who would be that just Bama? Like who would be that if not Ohio State? Uh, yeah, I don't. That's a good. That's a good. That's a fair question. It's uh, yeah. I don't even know. I, it's hard to even compare Cause, cause Bama we know and Ohio what State. Schools would be on the we're the desperate side. Some schools would be on the desperate side of the equation. We'll take it. 
we, we right. got to take it, right? So, yeah, so, so rock maybe solid version of this. Right. Steven, it's a rock solid conversation. Yeah. Is, is Ohio State rock solid enough to say that this should be higher than a 3.98 from the texters? Hey, maybe this guy has, has some stuff, but we'll support him and we'll get it sorted out and we'll bring out the best of him and he'll be great for the program. Yeah. I wonder if they regret this one because I do think Ohio State probably is set up to what the issues were. They have the people and the things in place to help them through that, to help him through any of those things off the field stuff while on the field. I know you didn't say it. I'm going to say it because now you've got Chase Young on one side. You've got Michael Parsons on the other side. That's a lot for anybody to deal with, even if you are LSU. So the football stuff speaks for itself. Ohio state is one of those programs where they are set up to help players who might need it a little bit more than other players do. You just mentioned Thayer Munford. That's not the only case of that. There's plenty of examples of that throughout history of players who maybe just needed a little bit more help in the human as human beings in their development and growth as young men. And Ohio State has been perfectly fine helping them make that next step in life. So but, I, I do but, uh, wonder but also, if this is one of those ones where it's like, mm. But also this, the Thayer Munford circumstances are different than the AI circumstances that I was talking about. I think the, Thayer, when I was talking to Greg Sajara a couple of weeks ago before the draft, and I said something to him about, oh, Dewan Jones, that's like probably like the biggest find of your career or whatever, like to have one turn out like that. And he's like, well, no, I mean like Thayer Munford, like he brings up Thayer Mumford because he felt like that was somebody that everybody doubted. Like, th- th- what are you even doing? Like, this guy's not going to be able to get into class or get into school. This guy's not going to be able to pass classes. And he becomes, a you know, an NFL draft pick and a four-year starter. So <clears throat> so that's just where I was going with that. That I think Ohio State is very, as you're saying, Doug, it is, I think you're right, is very well set up to take the Thayer Mumfords. But I don't know that it has to go down the road of <clears throat> the true character concerns. Yeah, building the boys' choir, trying to win football games. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I I don't know. And I think perhaps at the time of Micah Parsons, because he would have been in the 2018 class, right? Correct, correct. That was right, like they were rolling. They had just had the number two class in 2017. Mm-hmm. They had the number two class in 2018 with Howdem. I think that came from a, we got enough five stars who mm-hmm. like, who, who we don't have any issues with. They're not right. They're not there right now. That's not what this is. They are not stacking five stars in quite the same way that they did in 17 and 18. I don't think Ohio State ever stacked five stars quite the way they stacked them back to back in 17 and 18. Right, Steven? So like right now you feel good. How's our culture? Feel good about it. How's our talent acquisition? Feel good about it. Maybe in an NIL world where we're not, like maybe could be a little bit better. I might go here and believe in no single person with any off-field questions can destroy what we have. What we can do is have the 85 other guys on scholarship and the 105 guys in the locker room and lift this guy up. And at times... I have really believed, and I think Jim Tressel did this, that if this is a state university, if it's an Ohio kid, there's almost a little bit of an obligation to it. This is a skilled member of this state who needs a little help. This is a state school. It's paid for in part by taxpayers. And we don't expect 18-year-olds to be perfect. And we understand people make mistakes, but we are fortified enough to help this young man out. So let's do this. And by the way, Stephen, 
if he wins you a football game along the way, oh, mama, that's a nice little mm-hmm. bonus too. So I think 3.98 here, I understand why people vote this way, Stephen. I think it's low because yeah. I think Ohio State might be right at a point where culture good, talent acquisition not quite where it once was. I might be closer to a seven or eight on something like this because you believe it's worth the risk. You think you can make it work, and you just can't necessarily go down the street to the other five-star who's 100% perfectly clean on this stuff. You might have to do something where you've got to do a little more work. Yeah, I was at like six or seven with this one. It's because wide receiver is probably – you kind of took the words out of my mouth. Wide receiver is the only spot right now where Brian Hartley goes, eh, we got enough five-stars. I don't have to deal with that. Everywhere else – it needs to at least be a conversation, a thought-out, thorough conversation. You can't just brush it off. So I think if there was a Micah Parsons right now who was living in Harrisburg, literally, Micah, let's just take Micah Parsons and put him in this 2024 class, I think he'd be a Buckeye because of that. You don't have that built-in, eh, we just got Chase and Jeff and Barron. You know, we got Tehran in this class. We don't really need any more five stars. Our feature is set. There is no Chase. There is no Baron. There is no Jeff. There is no Tehran. You take that five star and you help him as a Midwest kid. I'll, I'll, you said Ohio. I'll take it further to Midwest. I just, and I would it, say, it, Nathan, maybe not, maybe not 15 of these guys in every class, right? One maybe or not, two. Maybe not two thirds of your class looks like this, but sprinkle it in, Nathan. That's where I would be. I hear where you're coming from. I, I, and this is, I think, part of, um, the the battle for coaches sometimes is you feel like you have a good culture, as you said. So does that mean you do take a risk and bring a guy like that in because you think the culture is strong enough to withstand that and help him? Or are you hesitant to bring that guy in because you don't want a fracture in the culture? Because the reality is, I heard this, and now somebody was saying this in relation to the NFL draft a couple of months ago that a story they heard, there was like an NFL executive who had, they were saying why they weren't going to take a certain player um, because of character concerns. And they said it wasn't because that guy will be out all night and then he won't be able to play the next day or won't be as effective because he actually still would be. He's that good. He'll come in the next day and he'll still be a great player for you. But the five guys that he took out with him, they're all going to play worse. And now you've made your team worse by that influence. And I, I, some of that is probably hyperbole, but I think that is how coaches or people who are building a team sometimes look at this. It's, it's, yes, you have a strong culture, but you have a strong culture that's built around, if it's built around a certain kind of player, do you want to mess with that mix? I don't know. Teachers use that, teachers use that analogy so much. I hate it. It's my least favorite analogy. I said, yes, you can talk in class and still get good grades, but everybody else can't talk and get good grades. They're going to fail. That sounds like a they, a they problem, not a me problem, Mrs. or Mr. And, Professor. And Steven's like, my job is talking. Take that, teacher. Yeah. I'm on a podcast. Okay. This is related but different, and I asked it in a different way. This is the final risk category. How hard should Ohio State football recruit a player if it feels like there's a chance that NCAA violations could crop up around the player based on what you hear during recruiting and your read of the people around him? Ten is recruit hard, one is recruit not at all. This is a little bit of an old question 
because like this was a thing back in the day when like there, no money could change hands at all. And they'd be like, okay, well, what's going to happen here? And I have two examples here. And one is Terrell Pryor. And this is not, this is what happened. Terrell, there were NCAA violations around Terrell Pryor. We, this is not, we've all argued tattoos and memorabilia for whatever. Is it really a thing? Whatever. How would it be viewed now? But I've told this story and I've told this story multiple times. I told to other people after covering Terrell Pryor's recruitment, I came to the conclusion that he was either going to lead Ohio State to a national championship or he was going to blow up the program. And he almost did the first and he did do the second. The coach got fired. Five guys got suspended. It, it blew up the entire 2011 season. So what happened with Terrell Pryor? I was surprised 0%. I also would have been surprised 0% if they had won a national title with him, right? It doesn't mean that I thought it was guaranteed, but I thought anything is possible. And Jim Trestle, I'm pretty sure, thought the same thing, and he did it. And why did he do it? Because they had lost national title games in 06 and 07. It's like, we're great. We got to get over the top. They were, in that moment, both established and desperate. They were rock solid in what they were, and they felt like they were not going to get to the next step without something a little bit more. And that's what I think led them to Terrell Pryor. So should they have done it? Again, just go back and have them win the Wisconsin game and be talking about, hey, remember Ohio State's 2010 national title before everything went nuts? Okay, so Terrell Pryor is an example here for me. And I also remember O.J. Mayo as a high school basketball recruit was in Cincinnati for most of his high school basketball career, was in West Virginia for his last year. It was just a little on the wild side. And I can remember having conversations with Ohio State about like, are you going to recruit OJ Mayo? And they were like, are you crazy? We are not touching that thing. And guess what? Like that was at a time when they were like getting ready to, they were doing the Odin Conley. Like here come, like they didn't need OJ Mayo right then. And OJ Mayo, he's in basketball, West Virginia. He commits to USC. Then he gets suspended for allegedly assaulting a referee two months after he commits to USC. He goes to USC for one year. He goes to the NBA. This is not a discussion about all the mistakes that OJ Mayo made in his life. People make mistakes. But Ohio State basketball at that point in time was like, nope, not going near it. What if Jim Trestle had done the same thing with Terrell Pryor? And again, it's not apples to apples. It's just worries, Nathan, that maybe this feels like a thing that if it goes the wrong way, the NCAA is going to be on our doorstep. And I think we know what that means. And it doesn't mean that the, that the players involved or the people around them are terrible people. It might just mean that like those people are like, hey, we're going to get our fair share because this is a joke. This amateur system is for the birds, right? But there may be a cost for the program. So if you asked Jim Trestle if you could do it again, what would you do? I don't know what he would say. I don't know. But it, it, you couldn't have been surprised by how it went down. So I do think, Nathan, it's a little less applicable right now because it's like, well, what's the NCAA going to get you for? Is it NIL stuff? Well, we already have the NIL, NIL conversation. So this right. might be more of a backwards conversation than a forwards conversation. I don't know what the next player like this would look like. It might be more of a, if you asked Ryan Day or Chris Holtman, would you recruit Terrell Pryor, AJ Mayo? What would they say? But that's what I'm thinking about when I ask this question, Nathan. And this is not a huge one for the tech subscribers. 3.13. They don't love it. 
NCAA, <laughs> especially given how, how much Ohio State in its history has had things like this happen, they're not interested. 3.13, it's the lowest. What's your view on this, Nathan? I actually gave it a one in the in the present day, just because I don't even know what an NCAA violation would even look like. As you said, we talked about the NIL before, and Ohio State's approach on that is on is is known now. They are they are very risk averse when it comes to to dealing with NIL and recruiting sphere. So I I don't even know what it would look like these days. the The problem is that you never the the, the Chase Young situation in 2019. You could even say the Trail Pryor thing, it wasn't because what got him wasn't stuff that happened on his way into Ohio State, right? It was stuff that happened after he got here and the the, the Tattoo Gate stuff. Like that's it's not like you can see that coming directly through the recruiting process, but you can, yeah, you can. I know what you're saying. You yeah, know you that can. things could yes, I know what yes, you're yes, saying. Yes, you can. I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying, but it wasn't like that that specific infraction was happening in the recruiting process, is what I'm saying. So you know what I mean? So that's where it gets tricky because I think I don't think at, at any time during the Chase Young recruitment did they probably look at themselves and say, "Oh, this could get hairy in a couple of years when he needs two hundred dollars for a a flight or whatever it allegedly was." So, but in the, in the current world, because the NCAA has has um, now that with NIL being the way it is, I, I don't know what it's just very up in the air what the NCA would even be coming down on you about. So I, 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 you, man, I, it's it, to think that this could be hairy, like something, something so serious is already happening or this guy is just so dumb already that, that it could blow this whole thing up, but he's still worth it. I don't know what that math is right now. It's hard for me to equate that. Chase Young versus Terrell Pryor in this conversation is the, epitome of a guy just making an honest mistake that we didn't even really he probably didn't even realize was the ncaa violation it's like oh we'll take your punishment and move on versus terrell Pryor. <laughs> i would go out on a ledge and say that's not the first time he had done something like that in his life it just he's famous now until there's more cameras on him um i made this one a one as well because don't hand the NCAA the gun to shoot you with. And that's what that would be. Like, that's what this well, would be at this point. Like the only, because like, you, whatever, whatever the NCAA violation is, you've seen the kid do it because he probably got on IG live or somewhere and has been doing this exact same thing. And you went, we want that guy to be our starting tight end. So no, that, this is, this is, just stay away from it. That's that we you're you're giving you you have enough leeway now with nil and some of the other stuff that the NCAA has backed off on now that you have to be trying to get in trouble. I feel like. And here's the thing: in a situation and, like this, and, and what you're saying, Stephen, I from people I've talked to at Ohio State, that definitely affects their view of nil in the recruiting sphere because they have seen, like, they feel like. The NCAA is always just kind of looking for a reason. Like, I think they have a good relationship with the NCAA and compliance and all that stuff. But yes. they know that if the NCAA can come get Ohio State or Alabama or USC or Texas, they they do it. They like to they like to set examples. So, um, that if if you're and I we hear it from fans too. Like, you can go. I I've seen texts from people who are like, why does the NCAA have it out? Why does the national media have it out for Ohio state? And it's like, well, but then also want to know, well, why isn't Ohio state willing to bend the rules 
in NIL and recruiting. And it's like, well, those you can't think both of those things. You have to understand why one influences the other. So this is our final list of how comfortable people are with the risk. 10 is take the risk. One is avoid the risk at all costs. With famous recruits, famous situations, 7.52. That's the one they're the most comfortable with. With national recruits where it may be hard to lock them down, 7.03. With NIL stuff, like guys who are like, show me the money, 5.25. So a drop, but still kind of like in, in the middle. Then what they don't like, character slash off-field kind of whatever, 3.98 and NCAA 3.12. So that's basically famous people and, and national people keep going. NIL, tread lightly. Off-field issues and NCAA violation stuff, stay away. And and I don't think that's surprising. I don't think that's unreasonable. I, I do think, you know, let's watch Georgia win a third straight national title and ask, come back and ask this question again. Let's watch Ohio State, right? It's one of those things. Well, I don't know. Are they going to lose to Michigan this year or beat Michigan this year? Well, if they lose, then let's get more risky. If they like, right. I mean, all of that happens because I think we have the, we have the real life example of that. I think Jim Tressel early on at Ohio State was willing to take some risks. Then they started, then they won a national title. They won. And then they reached a point where they won and couldn't get over the top. And then I think he took another round of risks and then his career was over. That to me, I think that's a pretty clear delineation of how that happened. I think Urban Meyer at Florida was significantly more willing to take risks in recruiting than he was at Ohio State. And I think the successes at Florida allowed Urban Meyer in the end to get most of the upside in his Ohio State recruiting without having as much of the downside. But I don't know that he ever gets there if he doesn't do what he did at Florida, which was just a few more things that you'd say, I don't know about that. So I think that's realistic. I do think Ohio State's in very good shape, but I think they might be at a point, especially if they're not sure about going to the to the wall on NIL, you might have to loosen things up a little bit in some other areas to get the guys who have a chance to get you over the top and have it not blow up your program. We have a couple texture responses. We love everything the texters send. From the 614, Ohio State's sole goal is to win championships. More, better blue chips equals a higher likelihood of championships. Given the feckless NCAA, it's okay to participate in the same risky activities that others are. I think that's a good text. The Brawny issue is unique because I don't think anyone, including us fans, take the basketball program seriously. And I don't know if Brawny is actually as good as his rating. So in the end, maybe being a finalist and not landing him was the very best possible outcome for Ohio State from the four and nine. I think I think that's pretty smart. I agree with that. I, I think that probably yeah. probably is right. They had a good enough showing to get in the top three, but in the end, I think it worked out better had, for everybody. Had he not taken an official visit, then I think I would have looked at it a little bit more sideways. It's like, huh? <laughs> you know, but the fact that the entire family was here, for that Notre Dame game, and then they legitimately sat down with Chris Holman and went through the entire process. That sh- they have respect for the program, they just also didn't realize that that probably wasn't the best place. Both sides understood. Yeah, that, I think I think that's well said. There, there is a way that you can like lose out in a recruitment in a good way, and I think this mm-hmm. is an example of that. Uh, from the 614, in my opinion, recruiting is like speeding on the freeway. If you're the only one going 75 into 55, you might run into some issues. If everyone is going 75, it's probably wise to follow suit. And that's the way that Ryan Day has talked about NIL. 
from the 3 3 The only concerns I have about Ohio State football recruiting are one, going after guys who just want a bag, meaning money, and two, guys with character questions. They shouldn't make exceptions in those two categories, in my opinion. From the 937, Ohio State should go after whoever they think is the best for them. Uh, from the 330, Bronny wanted to be a one and done from what I understand and wanted to start his first year. Ohio State said he'd have to earn a starting role, which is fair. I'm glad they didn't cave to his demands. From the 843, Ohio State should take risks to a point. You have to recruit the best players in the country, but character and or NIL concerns should most especially be taken into consideration. I'm sure the staff knows when to call it quits on a guy, whether that's due to interest or to other factors. From the 440, I think making sure Ohio State has a strong Ohio base in players is important. I think the class they are putting together is a good example. However, you do that so you can take the big swings at guys on a national level. I expect Ohio State to recruit well enough to be in the Bama-Georgia conversation while understanding they're going to lose out to those programs more than they win. I think it's okay if Ohio State doesn't want to go the Miami-Texas A&M route with NIL and recruiting, but they shouldn't lose a guy they really like over a bit of money up front. Just get it done. From the 440, Nathan, that is like a really good text, but it is all gray area, which is like, I don't think they should do the most, but I don't think they should lose out on certain guys. So they have to do what it takes in certain situations, and they should compete with Bama and Georgia, but not all the time, but at least some of the time. And that's, again, why I think the Ohio State lens on all of this is is fascinating, because everything that texter said is true, but there is not a single sentence in that text that is just black and white everything is do it just enough to do this which is which makes it really interesting nathan but also sometimes really difficult well and i catch myself thinking of kings of the north a little bit here too because as much as i said before about which i think is true that ohio state is one of the blue buds bloods why do i have such a hard time saying blue bloods and uh can get in conversations with recruits that other and prospects that other programs can't and are on the short list that some people would even consider looking at. Um, there's other times where it's, there's a barrier there, the, the geographic barrier. So it, that, that makes it tough too. And so then when you, when you are excluded from some recruits, some prospects in a given year, does, depending on how many of them you're excluded from, does that mean you need to, take on more risk somewhere else um, if you are shut out of somebody you would otherwise like to get. That, again, that's all part of – that's why these guys make the big bucks. Because you're more risk-averse generally, you might have to specifically in certain situations where most of the other boxes are checked take a risk there because your field of, of possibilities isn't as large as some other places because maybe you've you've ruled some guys out. So maybe generally – Right. Generally, don't be as risky as some other places, but in the right circumstance, don't hold back. I think there's something to that idea. From the 423, comparing Ohio State basketball to football is, is ridiculous. The pumpkin pushers have to take big chances <laughs> to get back to where football is. The risk is required to make the jump. I don't know that I'm familiar with the term pumpkin pushers for basketball teams. Pumpkins but are kind of heavy, okay. though. So, like, that would make them pretty strong if they're pushing pumpkins. I think that would be that would be like a fun Halloween fall kind of tradition where you played mm. a basketball game with pumpkins and then just like every time you shot the pumpkin smashed all over mm. the floor and by the end of the game there were just pumpkin parts everywhere. I think we could sponsor that. I can live with missing on big time recruits without Ohio State connections, but it seems like the two most surefire types of recruits we're losing right now are NIL focused and early commits from Florida. I'm not against recruiting <laughs> these types, but a firm backup plan is needed when the likely misses happen. 
missing on J.C. Latham, who was the tackle a couple years ago, hurts much less if the backup plan is a top 150 guy rather than number 306. Without taking the big swings, it limits the team's upside, even if it results in missing at times. With the portal being number two or number three can eventually land future needs from the five one three. What do you think about that? Late on some Florida guys, Stephen. Is that? Do you, have you noticed that? Yeah, it's been the the bane of the Ohio State existence. It's, it feels like every couple of years they get these Florida kids early and they don't make it to signing day. Where they're talking about Jordan Battle, Jaheim Singletary, Mark Fletcher in the last class, and it's part of the the Jeremiah Smith conversation, though it's typically with defensive players where you see it. So I understand the, the gripe there when you get a 40 kid early, it's like, that's cool. Let me see, let me see him in December, but it's that I don't know. That's not an NIL thing. That's just a thing with these Florida kids. And that's probably never going away. It's probably fair to feel like if a four, if kid from Florida commits nine months before signing day, just hold your breath and let's just get to December and maybe they'll be there. Maybe they won't be. Yeah. Mark Fletcher. Yeah. From the 419, I used to be really into recruiting, and I think Terrell Pryor broke me. When we landed him, I thought we had secured at least one national championship for sure. After that whole saga, it was just a headache that should have put the program into a bit of a tailspin if it wasn't for Urban. I would much rather root for a four-star kid with OSU ties than a national five-star when it feels like they aren't all in on the Buckeyes. The recent Ewers and Rayola recruitments just reaffirmed that for me. We'll do one more here. Great stuff. I just can't get to everybody. I'm reading them all. I've read them all. Thanks to everybody for sending them. I want to put a note on the character issue. This is from the 205 from HMB. This one's hard, but I think Ryan Day is the perfect nice guy with tough filling to search character issues. It can very much backfire, but oftentimes your troubled kids shine brightest. You've got to be able to discern if it's a troubled kid with a good heart who just needs a chance versus a plain old pain who has no concern for himself or those around him. The kids that have attitude but need a chance, that's where a lot of your locker room toughness come from, you know, having that dog in you. So I'd say a thorough character check is needed when going for high talent, unclear character. So a lot of good things here. Let's wrap up with this. Nathan, you first. In general, Ohio State football, with their risk assessment, all these different categories that we've talked about, do you think Ohio State football is striking the right balance in recruiting right now? Or if not, what would you change from a risk standpoint? I, I don't like the talk that they have made a little bit as far as it pertains to the national quarterbacks. Things that we're hearing there, I, I don't think that's really the right direction. I think you've got to just um, maybe regroup a little bit, but, but get back in that fight. And, and come up with a, uh, a new approach to go after those guys and win those battles. I don't think you can just concede those battles. So I, I think in general, the approach has been the right one uh, as far as the, the risk assessment. Now, have they had recruiting failures and misses? Absolutely, they have. You can see the deficiencies in the offensive line where they were with the secondary a couple years ago. But I don't know. Sometimes that just happens because of battles you win and lose that don't really have anything to do with this risk assessment from a risk assessment standpoint. I think they're, they're pretty close to where they need to be, but I, I, it does, I am a little bit, um, my antenna is just up on whether they're serious about, um, some of these things they're saying about whether or not they're going to get in on these, these quarterbacks in the future. All right, Steven, are they, are they walking the line correctly from a risk standpoint? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think the thing that we were talking about with the Michael Parsons concept, I'm interested to see 
if that arises again in the next couple of cycles and how they handle that situation. Obviously, context of you know what the character issues, quote unquote, are because there are some things you probably can't ignore. Um, I, that's the one place where I'm a little interested to see how they handle that going forward because we are kind of entering a space here where very similar to when they went and got Terrell Pryor or Maurice Claret, where maybe you do need to take a big swing here with the bases loaded just to you know, make sure you stay up on this level, especially as we get into a 12-team playoff situation. But overall, I, I'm, I think they're doing a, what they're supposed to be doing. So I am certainly open to a little more risk on – guys who might have a couple issues because I think they're strong enough to withstand it. And I will say, for instance, and now I'm not advocating, it's like, hey, let's. why don't you find every uh, top 200 high school football player who got in a fight during a game and just recruit them extra hard? That's not what I mean. But Troy Smith came from some rough circumstances. And Troy had a situation. He started off at a different high school before he wound up at Glenville. And he was in a fight in a high school basketball game and, and had a situation that was not a great situation and got back to Glenville and got back to, to Ted Ginn Sr. And Ted Ginn Sr. took him in. And the relationship between Ted Ginn Sr. and Jim Trestle had a big effect on Troy Smith winding up at Ohio State. And that's not a five-star commit. But I'm thinking about the next Troy Smith who is a five-star commit. Troy needed some help, man. He did. He just needed needed a little guidance, and he got here, and he got it. And what happened? He became one of the greatest Buckeyes ever. So, like, if you had said, you know, and, and it doesn't, I don't want to say that it bothers me, but Ohio State, you know, a lot of the times they say, oh, we got kids from great families, whatever. And it's like, you can't control your family. You, you can't control who your parents are. You can't c- control who your support system is. And so sometimes it's like, well, okay. And and now listen, they also have had plenty of kids from tough circumstances that have come here and thrived. Absolutely. And they're not going to get up there on signing day and, come and say, hey, you know, we got a lot of kids from tough circumstances. I know they're not going to say that. But sometimes when they really emphasize the, oh, great families, it's like, I sometimes think, well, are you if you don't have a great family, which you have no control over, like, are you not getting recruited by Ohio State? I think that sometimes. it's I don't have any proof that they're not. But I would make sure you're not. I would double check yourself. That just to double check, you're not looking at a situation and saying like, uh, I don't know if that's for us. And just kind of backing out before you even really get to dig into it because it's tough, because it's messy. Because kids can't help it if it's messy. Kids make mistakes. But if you can try to get in there and find out that a kid has a good heart and good intentions, I get it. There are some people you just say, he's not for us. I think they could have given up a lot of play. You could have just said, Troy Smith, it's messy. It's not for us. And you would have missed out on a guy who got here and did it right, right? So I think that sometimes, and I do think if, you know, they don't have a national championship in the next three years, then maybe it opens your eyes to that a little bit more, right? They turned down Micah Parsons at a moment when it was a humming. So if it's not humming to quite that degree, maybe be a little more open to it. But in general, I think they do a good job. And I do think Ohio State fans, our texters, guys, they don't want Texas A&M, right, Nathan? As much as you correspond with people who are like, oh, man, I wish they'd be a little more at NIL, Ohio State fans are not saying right. let's do it Texas A&M style. Well, no, but obviously, like, all of this approach is only in the guise of it'll work. Like, oh, it's almost like <laughs> only the best case scenario will result from this. And that hasn't happened at Texas A&M. They've, they've been on the, the worst case scenario of it in some ways. And now you've got a program that people kind of smirk at and think – uh, what are you guys even doing down there? 
like the, were almost things where the, the NIL became what was leading things. Like things were out of control and now they're having to pay the price for that. And I think what Ohio State fans want most is knowing that they have competent people in control of the program and that you're making calculated risks. I don't think they want no risk, but I think they want calculated risk. I think they want people who say, yeah, we know we see the, we do a cost benefit analysis here and this is a risk worth taking. This isn't a risk worth taking. This is the right timing for this. This isn't the right timing for this. And the NIL thing is, is messy. I know I probably had some unpopular opinions about that with some fans, but some of that is still very unsettled. Whereas in a lot of these other cases, we have a lot of years of precedent of what has and hasn't worked for Ohio State and what, what they should keep doing and what they should change. I think fans just want an approach that feels like it's going to be successful and it's sustainable. What Texas A&M was doing never felt sustainable. It felt like it was going to work for a couple of years. And then we're seeing very quick, as quickly as it was put together, as it's very quickly falling apart here. Ohio State fans want something where it's maybe you're not in the middle at every single place. Maybe you are high risk here. Maybe you are low risk here. But whatever your approach is, we want it to be beating Michigan, beating the Big Ten, competing for national titles. And we want to feel like 10, 20 years from now, this approach still works the same way it was working when you first introduced it. And since we're so early into this, Ohio State may be still trying to work out some of the bugs. But at the end of the road here, you want to feel like whatever Ohio State is doing is going to help you in the long term continue to do those three things. Texas A&M didn't feel like it was doing something from a position of strength. And I think that's what fans yes. want too. They want we, we we know we have we're confident in our identity. We're going to do this because we're operating from a position of strength. Texas A&M was much more, and a lot of the the cases where we think Ohio State had players bought out from under them in, in the recruiting process are are it's happening from programs that aren't operating from a position of strength. There's some desperation there where people feel they have to take those big swings, and I know that that sucks on signing day, but. Remember that when you're thinking about those those mercenaries we were talking about before, where they really want to be. I just want to say this one last thing for Doug gets us out of here. Um, I do love the fact that the theme continues to be to well, I don't love it that we continue to harp on Tate Martell, who also was originally committed to Texas A&M. So we have bought it full circle <laughs> here. Congratulations to us. That is how you pod, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I still follow Tate on Twitter, so he's still out there in the world. Um, and again. Any specific circumstances that we referenced here, we just did so as a guide. We're not, I'm not certainly pretending that I know every single thing that happened inside a commitment. So there may be more to Terrell Pryor, more to Micah Parsons, more to Thayer Munford. I don't know, right? But we're trying, it's more of a, it's more of a philosophy and it's more of a general guide. And we understand that every specific circumstance is different. All right. That was meaty. We haven't really touched close to two hours in a while. Feels good to do it every now and then. Make sure you guys are reading cleveland.com slash OSU. would love to have you as a tech subscriber. It's one of those things, again, it's like if you made it this far, you just listen to two hours of that, you might want to try the text because you seem like our kind of people. 614-350-3315, a two-week free trial to see what you think. For now, for Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.